The year is 1975. The Vietnam War ends as communist forces take Saigon and South Vietnam, surrenders unconditionally, and Dr. Hawkeye Pierce and the rest of the MASH 40077 um, get to come home. Patty Hearst becomes most wanted and is arrested for armed robbery. And Patty Hearst is best known for inventing the peppermint patty. Sony introduces Betamax videotapes, the clear, winner for, clear winning format, over the long-forgotten VHS videotapes. Who remembers those? Also, Saturday Night Live debuts on NBC, making comedians like John Candy, Rick Moranis, Dave Thomas, and Martin Short household names. That's right, horror films and 100% historic accurate facts from 1975 on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Salutations! I've always wanted to say that ever since That's I saw good. Pump Up the Volume. Good. Yep. Yeah. Welcome to a historic episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast, and boy oh boy, are all of you in for a treat, because this episode, we are talking about the horror films from 1975. 1975 was a wild year in our history. For example, Jason, yeah. did you know... The construction of the Trans-Alaskan Pipeline Pipelines, Systems yes, began in 1975? I've heard of that. That's right, and we do have a Patreon. Oh. So glad you brought that up. <laughs> so just go to patreon.com backslash AOTKP and check it out. Heck, while you're there, why don't you just, oh, I don't know, go ahead and donate. Why not, right? Uh, when you get there, check out the various perks such as getting shout-outs on the show, bonus episodes, uh, we started doing special videos, which are awesome, or you could even get a t-shirt. It all depends on how much you donate, so just go over to patreon.com backslash AOTKP, click on the tier that you want to donate. It's that Easy. simple. Yeah. It's so simple, I could do it. Well, <laughs> your segues, dude, are getting so good. <laughs> So back to 1975, when we started this podcast, it was just me and one other guy we used to call Sloppy Jim. Now, Jim said, Jim um, used to say he was my uncle, even though he really wasn't. And we used to do the show in his basement. Uh, even though he swore he, he was recording, for some reason I can never find those early episodes. Uh, but from our humble beginnings to today, where Attack of the Killer podcast is now part of the mighty podcast network known as the Phantom Podcast Network. It's hard to believe the show started out in a basement with just two people with no shirts on. That one day they would become part of this fantastic site. So you can check out the network and many other the amazing shows by going to downrightcreepy.com backslash phantom. So that is downrightcreepy.com backslash phantom. And it's not just us. Tons of amazing shows on there you could check out. And as Nike Industries used to say, we have our children doing slave labor so our shoes could, uh, so we can make shoes and save even more money. Wait, that's the wrong quote. I believe the quote is, just do it! 
And now it's time to... What? No. Wait a minute. Do I see someone else new out there listening to this podcast? Yeah, you. I'm talking to you! If you are a new listener to the show, well, you are one lucky son of a bitch. <laughs> and welcome to the show. Now let me give you a tour. Attack of the Killer Podcast, established in 1883, was the first podcast ever to offer a chewy caramel center. We're a group of friends who come up with a topic and discuss films that fit that topic. And we talk we talk as if we're just hanging out, doing what we do, talk about horror films. We keep the conversation open and free, so there may be spoilers. So just wanted to give you a little heads up. That's all. Just a little heads up. Now, with all that out of the way, it is time, once again, to introduce you to the Grooviest Podcast Crew. In 1975, Bill Gates and Paul Allen created Microsoft, which ironically is also this podcaster's nickname in the bedroom. Brian Clark, everybody. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. Um... Just a little warning for all you new listeners out there. When he says he sees you, he means it. He's in your closet right now. That's right. Hello, everyone. <laughs> his hair got uh, his hair got burned off, and he's got third third degree burns on his face from a bra burning protest. Tad, good everybody. Hey, man, that's not cool. <laughs> Next up, he had a pet rock, but it ran away. Jason Bollinger. What happened to me? What's up, everybody? He was going to get a water bed, but he thought he had to fill it with spring water. Matt Foy. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for being the only one to laugh at that, Matt. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm down with it. I had a water bed. I remember. <laughs> and lastly, everything she owns is covered in wood paneling, including the trees in her backyard. Terry Turford. <laughs> I have always wanted a station wagon with wood paneling. I know, right? It's <laughs> so cool. Green with wood paneling, just like the uh, Hell yeah. station wagon and vac- uh, vacation. All right, how's everybody doing? Good. You ready to talk about some 1975? Heck yeah. Uh, I'm glad you uh, you went and did some research because I, I know that when we started talking about doing these year-in horror episodes, I was sort of appointed the de, uh, de facto historian, and I totally did not have time to research a goddamn thing for this episode. So. Yeah, but after my historical facts, you probably now realize why we wanted you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, before we get into it, before we get into the films we're going to talk about, um, let's do a little killer news. Now it's time for killer news. Ripped straight from the headlines on attack on the killer podcast. Well, apologies to all of the listeners that uh, (laughs) we were... We're uh, going to make this sort of a roundtable kind of thing, and uh, the only thing that I came up with, and apparently the only item on the table today, is about Ultraman. So to the one of you out there who likes Ultraman besides me, you're welcome. <laughs> a-, a year after the year that we're talking about in this episode, 1976, this is just a little bit of background information, there was a quote-unquote agreement 
between uh, the CEO of Subaraya Productions at the time and a guy named Sampoti Sands, um, who is probably most well-known for making one of several different shitty killer crocodile movies called Crocodile, uh, that he would get, that Sands' company, Chayo, would get the rights to distribute Ultraman and all foreign properties in perpetuity, leaving Subaraya with only Japan. And... It's a big, long, complicated thing, but uh, Kyle Yount over on the Kaiju cast did a fantastic episode on this where he interviewed someone who used to work at Subaraya and he talked about the history of this whole thing. So go over to the Kaiju cast and listen to that if you want to know the full background. Uh, basically, Sans used some of the Japanese uh, business ethic and dislike of confrontation to bully Subaraya into this not entirely on the up and up business transaction and just a couple of weeks ago a los angeles federal court overturned this agreement saying that at it was at the very least completely unfounded that you know had it was invalid and was possibly a forgery and it probably was a forgery so now subaraya has the rights to ultraman back in the united states so knock on wood we're going to get some uh, good high quality blu-ray transfers of all the old ultraman stuff and start getting all of the new stuff over here uh, or at the very least, we'll see it streaming on Crunchyroll. So. Sweet. Yay, Ultraman. <coughs> what else do we have in killer news? I saw that the filming for the new Halloween movie has been moved to January. Yep. It was supposed, yeah. it was supposed to start, I think, maybe this month or, or even late. R- right around Halloween, I think, is when it was supposed to, and it looks like they've moved it to the new year. Um, no official word why, but I'm, I'm from rumblings. It sounds like they're just slow on casting. They don't have everybody uh, signed on yet. So hopefully mm-hmm. they keep their October 2018 release date. Hopefully it doesn't push it back any because this movie sort of been uh, on and off again for way too long. Yeah. What do you think that is, though? Why, why do you think, like... Um Everybody seems to have such a hard time making new versions of like the classic '80s characters. There's because there's been a Friday Thirteenth film on and off for like years now. Like it's going to be this. Oh no, we're not going to do that now. It's going to be this. I mean, how? It's not that difficult to make these, right? We don't have that I, high of expectations when it comes to yeah. I don't know. It seems. Yeah, it's like you can't use the excuse we want to get it right because they even when they take forever they don't get it right. But um, yeah. like you said, we are expectations. It's especially on like a Friday Thirteenth movie. I mean, the fans just want something simple. Make Jason kill naked chicks. I mean, it's pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. I don't um, know. I don't know. I just it just it boggles my mind. Well, I'm hoping uh, you know with Blumhouse. It's actually, you know, I feel like they, when I heard they were on board, I thought, okay, this is actually going to happen, and I have some faith that it can be good. Yeah. Um, it's just, they seem to get just get things done, you know, and yeah. uh, regardless of what you think of all their films, they, they, get, they get things made, and that's, to me, that's a good sign that when they came on board, so. It's because they don't spend any money. I feel like, it almost feels like to me, like Blumhouse is the modern... Maybe a little bit more sophisticated version of um, like what Corman used to do. Yeah, yeah. Because I was I was reading a little bit about that and how they got Jamie Lee Curtis on board, and it's pretty interesting. And uh, I even heard rumors that 
that Universal was thinking about bringing him on board to get their Dark Universe back on track after they sort of ditched that after the mummy flopped. And I don't know if Jason Blum would even want to touch that because yeah. there's almost no winning on that one. You're not going to ever beat the originals. Um, it's just, it's it was a tough, I don't know, it was, it, you already sort of put your back up against the wall when you're remaking such classic films, but... It's just dumb. I mean, all of it. I think all of it, these, these studio people just overthink shit, you know? Like, Dark Universe thing, that's been on... That's, that's how many how many times have they tried to start that and stopped? Like three yeah. times now. Yeah, and it sort of I don't know they sort of it sort of this last um, announcement they had the you know everybody sort of in their roles they took the the cast picture with uh, Depp and everybody involved in it and it's sort of I don't know sort of embarrassing I would think for a major studio to go that far into making this big deal of something and then after one mediocre film sort of say we're done with it you know yeah well i mean they they don't seem to recognize the fact that they the universal monsters were the original shared cinematic universe yeah you got frankenstein meets the wolfman all the abbott and costello movies house of frankenstein house of dracula like that that all took place in the same universe and they didn't even you know they didn't think twice it was just natural to have it that way yep the and yeah that i don't know it's like you said it's frustrating that they just keep giving up because i i don't think that there's actually anything wrong with the idea of trying to remake them i mean there have been lots of good frankenstein movies that weren't the original frankenstein yeah. or yeah. son and ghost of frankenstein which are my two favorites but um i don't I don't see any reason why they couldn't succeed. It's just that, like you said, it's the studio people overthinking everything and yep. giving too much power to people like Tom Cruise. Like, get some unknowns. You know, you don't. The the monsters are the stars of these movies, and that seems to be something they don't quite understand either. Like, you don't need, uh, you know, Mister Mega Budget Hollywood Marquee Value guy to sell your monster movie because exactly. people are showing up to see the goddamn monster. Like, I was dying to see the Creature from the Black Lagoon remake back when well, it wasn't John Carpenter was doing it at one point, Guillermo del Toro was doing it at one point, all these awesome people. Just give the property to someone who loves it and let them make a good movie. Yeah, Trust that to sell tickets. Put them out around Halloween. They don't need to be the summer blockbuster. They don't need to be have a giant budget, you know? Just build a cool Gilman suit and go. <laughs> Precisely. Did well, anybody see, see The Mummy? Yeah, it was okay. Okay, I did. I've never seen it, so I can't really say that. You know, from my point of view, if they if they got it right or wrong or what I like or didn't like about it, but obviously the numbers spoke for themselves that people didn't come out. And I don't know who you point the blame to on on the studio or on Tom Cruise. Tom or, Cruise, yeah. absolutely on that one. He apparently had a lot of control and changed oh, really? a lot of stuff kind of on the fly on the set because he wanted it to be you know the Tom Cruise movie. And he was the part about it that was bad. Like, uh, Sophia Butella? Is that right? The gal who played the mummy? She was the the springy blade leg chick in Kingsman. Kingsman, yeah. Yeah. She was really good. Like, it, it has fuck all to do with the Karloff mummy. I mean, don't... It's called the mummy, and it has a living mummy in it, but it's not the same thing. So, I mean, comparing the two is completely pointless. It's a different movie. But, yeah, the... 
the mummy, the you know undead Egyptian princess was really cool, and uh, actually Russell Crowe as Doctor Jekyll was really good. Um, I would have liked to have seen more of him too, but unfortunately we got the stupid fucking Tom Cruise movie and <laughs> and it tanked because it sucked and nobody liked what he did with it. Well, when they started even discussing this whole thing and putting it together, they kept sort of just automatically saying we want to do this um, monster universe just like the Marvel one but with monsters and then they came out with the mummy and the trailers and it's like they're literally trying I thought maybe they just meant you know it's sharing the universe but it seemed like they were going for that tone of like let's make an adventure a fun adventure movie that anybody can see with a with a lead you know an attractive male lead and it was like and the thing is they did that once and it was really good it had Brendan Fraser in it yeah. I really enjoyed that movie. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think maybe part part of the problem, too, is the advertising on it. Because those trailers did not pique my interest at all. They just looked... I just thought it, did, it didn't look like anything I'd want to see. And now you're sitting here telling me that Russell Crowe is in it as Dr. Jekyll? I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Even a hint of that in the trailer would have maybe piqued me, my interest enough to want to go see it. And he's not in it a lot. It's the way his character is in it. The way they set it up is uh, he is the head of sort of a supernatural MI6 type of organization. The, you know, he's he's essentially Professor Broom leading the BPRD. But mm-hmm. um, and so they have this organization that is trying to track down the monsters one by one and and you know stop them or contain them if they need to be contained and all that kind of stuff. So and you get this cool walkthrough of of a big. Uh, you know, like a, an artifact depository where you see a fossilized creature from the Black Lagoon hand in a case in the background and that kind of stuff. So, oh, I mean, they, cool. they were setting up where you know, they were going to bring all these other ones in. But And just that little bit right there actually now makes me want to see it. But all I saw in the trailer was just Tom Cruise running around and a bunch of CGI. So And that's mostly what you see in the movie, which is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. they, they had some really good elements. It wasn't a total piece of shit. They just focused on the wrong stuff. And they did anybody tr- go ahead no I was just gonna uh, and they did they didn't trust the good parts of what they had and thought they needed Tom Cruise to sell it that's all there was uh I don't know if anybody else saw it but like right when the trailer came out some I don't know if it was an intern somebody screwed up and they put out a trailer without the um without the it was like a I think it was an IMAX trailer or something but they forgot to put the original like the new sound over the top of it so it had it was just the unedited footage with the original sound of, like, Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah. And it was, like, hilariously bad, because it was just, like, him grunting. And there was... An, and he, it was the scene where he was in the... I think in the airplane up in the sky, and he looked like he was sort of, like, flying through the plane or whatever. But um, it had him, like, his actual voice yelling rather than the finished audio from the film, and it was hilariously bad. Nice. Uh, <laughs> it went up online, of course. So someone realized it right away, took it down, but it was too late. Somebody... <clears throat> saved it but it's absolutely hilarious i'll have to share a link later but sweet yeah yeah were you gonna say something jason well isn't all of it all the problems of what you're saying because of greed and money i mean you're saying why do they have to overthink it well you're in charge of millions of dollars you should think about it a little bit you know like (laughs) but that's but and that's the continual problem with with big studios and big budgets anyway yep. always yep. you know it's always way overthought and like they just don't 
they don't learn that lesson that it doesn't have to be that overthought. Like Brian said, they don't trust the reasons why it is good. Why it's and worth that, remaking in the first place. Like, did anybody see Victor Frankenstein? It wasn't part of that shared universe thing. It was a completely separate thing. But I thought that one was one of the other times they were kind of was going to jumpstart it. No, I don't think that was necessarily supposed to be part of the. I think I Frankenstein was. Oh, that's right. It was I Frankenstein. You're right. And, and then Victor Dracula Untold. Yeah, Dracula Untold. Fucking yeah. garbage, but fun garbage. but I was really surprised at how good Victor Frankenstein was Yeah, not only were uh, James McAvoy and Daniel Radcliffe really really good in it but uh, I was also really surprised that Max Landis was attached to something that good (laughs) because generally I don't really like his stuff but um, (laughs) they kind of more went the hammer route than the universal route with that one Oh, cool! where you really only see the monster for like the last five minutes of the movie the the movie follows Victor Frankenstein and his obsession with creating life, and it's you know he he's, he plays it a lot closer to not full on super villain Peter Cushing Frankenstein at the end of that run, but more at the beginning where he's just the obsessed scientist. But it's you know it's more of a character piece, and there's not a ton of action in it. But it's that one's really good. Okay. They, they should have just gone with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Anything else anybody want to add to all that? Okay. Any other killer news? Nope. All right. Fair enough. Cool. Let's get into night. Let's let's uh, jump in the DeLorean and jump back to 1975. <laughs> Who wants to start us off? Wow. No Doc Brown impersonation. Oh, Morty. We gotta go back to. 1975. <laughs> I thought that's why you said the DeLorean thing. I was I waiting for it. Uh, that, that just was off the cuff. I mean, you know, so I was just riffing. I didn't even oh. didn't even think about Doc Brown. Oh. but thanks for bringing it up. I got a chance to do a little Doc Brown. Awesome. <laughs> Who wants to start us off? Okay, I'll address the <laughs> elephant in the room, or rather, the shark in the room. Oh. Oh, yeah. We're going to start there. If, <laughs> yeah, because if you put a gun to my head and said, what's your favorite movie of ever, I'd probably have to go with Jaws. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Now, I know there are other things that I love more. I mean, obviously, yeah. my Godzilla obsession is well known at this point, but I couldn't pick any one specific Godzilla movie that I think is better than Jaws. I just, I love the character in the franchise as a whole, but yeah, it's a collective. I it. love the Jaws franchise for a whole different reason. <laughs> 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 but the first one is a masterpiece. I mean, it's a perfect movie. There's no, there's not a single frame in that movie. You could take out or add something or do anything different to make it better. Hmm. Sounds like a challenge. <laughs> You're coming this summer from Prescribed Films. Mike Saunders fan edit of Jaws. <laughs> oh yeah, Jaws is uh yeah, it's what can you say about it? It's um it is like one of the greatest movies hands down ever made. And Jason, you said it was your favorite one of your favorites too, right? 
from 1975. From 1975, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I, I watch it every 4th of July. Aww. That's the thing. Oh, that's a perfect time to watch that's it. perfect. Yeah. I, what I really want to do is there are, well, I think there are multiple places around the country that do this, but I, I know of uh, lake communities that will put a big floating driving screen out in the lake. Heck yeah. And, and then uh-huh. everyone goes out on, you know, floaty rafts and inner tubes and shit and watches Jaws in the oh, dark awesome. floating on the water. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Which is, yeah, that, I mean, there is no better way to watch that movie specifically or really, like, I mean, that that's the, I can't think of a way that you could watch a different movie, you know, and it's, you could watch the thing sitting out in the snowdrift, I guess, and that would kind of suck. <laughs> but like, what, what, just what a perfect atmosphere. And uh, I, I guess every year, because uh, Amity is a real place, and every year there's a big Jaws festival there, so that's kind of one of my uh, holy grail type of things. Like some, some summer I want to go out to Amity and Taking yeah. the Jaws Festival. That would be very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I, mean, I think uh, Alamo Draft House does that every year. That they're the ones that put on the Jaws on the Water screenings. Oh, nice, sweet. And it's it's a groundbreaking film. I mean, it changed. It's one of those films at that time that changed cinema in general. Wasn't it the isn't Jaws the first blockbuster uh, summer blockbuster film? Yeah, it's considered and was, such. Yeah, and it, there was. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, no, you go ahead. I was thinking that there was some other movie, kind of like a Burt Reynolds movie or something, coming out that year that they thought was going to be the big money maker, <laughs> and like Jaws almost got like it's ad. I think it was, well, it was either that or the summer that Star Wars came out, but I'm pretty sure it was Jaws that this happened to. That they just kind of eh, whatever it's. It's a dumb shark movie. It's a B movie. It's whatever, and then it just exploded. And it came out in June, which kind of yep. made like summer is the time for blockbusters. Like if it had come out in November, we'd be <laughs> seeing all the blockbusters in late fall now. I yeah. Suppose. <laughs> I think uh, I think it was was it Deliverance was the Burt Reynolds movie because I think that was seventy five also. No, it was something. It was a much smaller, lower profile movie than okay. that. Okay. So maybe it was, if Deliverance came out in 75, then maybe it was Star Wars I was thinking of, where they were the studio was thinking that it was going to be like their second-run movie, and it wound up blowing up. But. Yeah, I just recently watched, um, HBO did a documentary on Steven Spielberg, and they talked a lot about Jaws, which was, it's not his first directing gig, but it was like his first huge breakthrough. Yeah movie obviously it was really interesting yeah, i'm trying to remember right Max. after duel <laughs> right yeah yep yeah they, they had a lot of troubles with the uh they had a lot of troubles with the the shark the shark and yeah. yeah it almost ruined it, like, the whole movie move <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it wound up making it even better because they had to work exactly. around it so that's kind of yeah. where the whole don't show your monster very much like let the audience's imagination do it and it works yeah. so much better yeah, because yeah, they were just, originally supposed to show it a lot more. Yeah. And it got cut down because it was malfunctioning. Which I would you know would have made it more like the Peter Benchley novel, which is 
an enjoyable read, but it's like total paperback trash. I mean, just because it sold 50 bajillion copies, it's really not any higher quality a novel than any of the other silly pulp paperback monster books that I love to read. And that's the, th- that's the thing, though. Did it sell 50 bajillion copies before or after the movie? That's a good question. I mean, I think it was popular before, but I'm sure the movie coming out it really, you know, <laughs> boosted the sales quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it had to be popular enough for them to acquisition it for a feature film, but yeah. still, wasn't I? Haven't read the novel, wasn't it? Is the am I wrong in thinking the ending was a bit bleaker than the movie? Um, the, it's it's not as spectacular, certainly. I think it because it's more of a, a Moby Dick kind of thing. I mean that gets played up a lot more in the book than it does in the movie. And uh, there's actually a sequence where Quint winds up baiting the shark with a fetus, uh, fetal dolphin. And which is like super fucking illegal. (laughs) (laughs) So like there's this scene, like, cause they can't get the shark to get close enough to the the boat to kill it. And he's like, all right, time to break out the big guns. And he pulls out this cooler that he's been like, kind of keeping hidden throughout the rest of the movie. And, uh, he opens it up and pulls out this baby dolphin. And as, as I like, it's been a good number of years since I've read it, but I've read it multiple times. As I recall, Hooper kind of throws a fit about it if he's still on the boat at that point. But because um, the whole yeah, the, the ending is quite a bit different, and it's just Quint and the sharks sinking down into the depths together, like Ahab strapped to Moby Dick. There's no explosion. Yeah, because that's kind of when I think about kind of the the tone of jaws it, it's pretty especially compared to some of the stuff we saw today it, it's quite a bit more optimistic uh, in terms of overcoming evil than a lot of the movies of the era so i was thinking yeah. the book might have been more consistent with that kind of tone well and there's like there's this great big subplot about the mafia doing like crooked real estate deals in amity <laughs> that just oh yeah like because yeah, I'd, I'd say probably a quarter of the book is dedicated to this ridiculous plot where the mayor and all the other you know town officials are are not just shitheads because they don't want to close the beaches, but because they're you know in deep with the you know they're made men. And uh, funnily enough, that there's I'm I know at least Mike has seen Razorback, right? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. which is like not only is it the greatest Jaws ripoff, it's another one of my all-time favorite movies and. I think it's damn near as good as Jaws. Like, I really love that movie. But it's the same deal. It's based on a shitty pulp monster novel. And there's a whole big subplot in that about diamond smugglers. And it's like copy and paste. Like, Peter Brennan just went to Benchley's manuscript and, like, select, search, replace mafia with diamond smugglers. (laughs) So it's a pretty slavish copy, but... Yeah, the, the the movie streamlines the book quite a bit, as as most movies from books tend to do, you know, cutting out unnecessary subplots and stuff. And like Matt was saying, it's it's the end of it is very optimistic because really only the first half of the movie is a horror movie. Once they board the Orca, it becomes this high seas adventure movie, and it completely yeah. changes gears. And it's exciting. Like whereas up until that point, you've just had this boom boom that which. Is literally is there a more iconic piece of film music that has ever been written? More instantly recognizable. I mean, there there are lots of iconic film scores, but Jaws is just you hear it and you know, you know. Um, but in that second half of the movie, the score really kicks up too, and you have all these, you know, 
bouncy, bombastic themes as they're chasing the shark, you know, represented by those yellow barrels shooting through the water and stuff. Mm-hmm. And something that I think is such an awesome little detail, and, you know, it doesn't add anything to plot or anything. It's just one of those little, like, wow, a lesser filmmaker would not have thought of this. But when the barrels are coming up to the orca that first night as they're inside singing Show Me the Way to Go Home, you see all the bioluminescent organisms in the water lighting up around the shark. There's all these little greenish-yellow flickers in the water right underneath the barrel as it's moving toward. And that really happens if you're out in the ocean at night and you're, you know, if, if there are bioluminescent plankton and fish swim through it, they all light up. And so you see that that's another instance of the mechanical shark doesn't work worth a shit. How are we going to show it? We've got this barrel, but let's add this little touch of of nature, this little touch of realism, yeah. to have this <clears throat> luminescence surrounding the shark, like this weird shroud of, of light. And then there are two shots uh, with meteorites streaking through the sky that are added in, like post-production effects. Uh, one right at the end of that scene, and then I think the other one comes a little bit before that. But yeah, they're just neat little touches that add a lot to it for me. Like it's something I always like to look for when I'm watching it. Totally. Anybody? Did you get a chance to watch the Blu-ray? No, I did not. No. Anybody else get that new Blu-ray with the sweet new remaster and? Touch oh yeah, up. that's it's the lovely. fucking greatest thing I've ever seen. How well they clean that thing up, and then you can watch like the special features about how they cleaned it up. It's yeah. I, I'm like I'm a sucker for that because they did that on the uh, Universal Monster set for they showed how they how they restored Dracula and I I could watch that stuff all day. I love oh, seeing yeah. them go back and find the original film negatives and clean them up, and that's so cool. Just blown away on how well Jaws was cleaned up. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I think, um, I don't know, like, when I watch this movie, everybody, you sort of, I mean, everybody remembers this as a shark movie, but there's little things that yeah. are so perfectly Steven Spielberg, like the scene where he comes home and he's, you know, Brody's just had a, an awful day, uh, the the mother of the son came back from the funeral and screamed at him and he's just feeling at all time low and he comes and he's, he can't eat his dinner and he sort of has his hands in his face and he looks over and his, his son is sort of copying his moves. It's like, it's just one of those little things where Spielberg always, always sort of puts you like in a realistic family. Like he always, he does that in ET. He does that in all of his movies where he, I don't know. It makes you, I don't know if it's, it makes me sort of um, connect to the character so much, but it's just so real. It's so like, it's it's just perfect. His these little scenes add so much. Yeah, that is an awesome mm-hmm. scene. Yeah, I love that line at the end of it too. Come here, give us a kiss, and the little kid goes, "Why? Because I need it." <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's just just the the only good thing that is going to happen to him that day is his son giving him a kiss on the cheek. That's such a good moment. Yeah, I, and obviously, you know, Quince. Quint's speech towards the end is iconic too when he's when they're in the boat late at night and he's doing his big iconic speech 
all that stuff is just yeah. you know which makes that per- this this film so perfect. I watched it again last night, and I I just forgot how funny Richard Dreyfus was. <laughs> yeah, you know, like he really for me carried a lot of the movie. Just yeah, I, I just honestly he's my favorite, he's him. always been my favorite character he was in so the movie. So funny and so watchable in that. I just. And, you know, based on that, I always thought he was a funny guy, first and foremost. And, like, almost everything else I've ever seen him in, he's just Mr. Dramatic Guy. He's like, where the fuck is all that lively, sparkle-in-the-eye, impish uh-huh. fun of Matt Hooper from Jaws? He's just this bland... That's why I loved him in Piranha, his little cameo, <laughs> yeah. dressed up as Matt Hooper. It's like, oh, he still does have a sense of humor. Good. <laughs> Check out the stakeout movies. There you go. Okay, but like all three of the main characters, like that, those three guys together. The dynamic between them three, yeah, it's awesome. You could not pick, change any one of them, and it wouldn't work. Like those three are just perfect, and especially Robert Shaw. I mean, I fucking love Robert Shaw anyway. He's awesome in everything he's ever been in. But I love the I love the scene where they are comparing scars. It's, yes. that's like one of my favorite moments of the movie and what's great what I love about it well one it, it you know it gets a little silly but uh, you know how like Richard Dreyfuss's character and Quinn are just such polar opposites that they sh- they sh- they just can't stand to be in the room together for too long but they have something they connect with and they can relate to where Sheriff Brody's just kind of stuck in the middle Looking at his appendectomy scar. That's, I love that moment. He just yep. lifts his shirt up and then quick covers it up again in case they notice and ask him what it is. That might have been the first but, time Roy Scheider like smiled on the boat. Yeah. You know, like. But then he gets in his little dig there towards the end where Hooper goes, uh, I've got the creme de la creme, and he pulls his shirt open and points at his chest, and it's because his, like... His cackle when he says his line next completely washes it out. No one ever notices. But when he points at his chest, Brody goes, "You're wearing a sweater." Yep, <laughs> yep. It's fuzzy as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> what if that was improv? I, I bet a lot of that stuff on the boat might have, like, you know, starting with the lines is scripted. But yeah, they they those three guys spent so much time together. They had to have developed some of that rapport. Yeah. Because it, it's so natural. There's no way it's all acting. It had to have been a little bit. Like They just got to be buddies. Yeah. You know, if you're sitting around on the boat shooting the shit for six hours while they're trying to get the stupid robot shark to work, <laughs> and you don't have anything <laughs> else to do. And... I, I have one of my... Um, one of my prized collections from my, my horror movie collection. I have inbox... The Jaws game, the Jaws, I don't know, you can't really call it a board game, but the Jaws game that came out around that time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Mm -mm. So it's a big plastic shark that, and it's, it's hollow on the inside and its mouth opens and it's got this little rubber band that you attach to the jaw that attaches to the upper, upper jaw. And you have all these like it's it's kind of um, kind of reminds me maybe a little bit of Operation where you have all these little these little things like there's a there's a tire there's 
all the, all these little plastic pieces that sit in the bottom part of the jaw with the shark's mouth open. Uh, and you you take this little hook thing and you have to hook out each piece um without without making the the shark snap its jaw shut. So it's like crocodile dentist. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's a be- way better example. Absolutely. I used to have one when I was a kid, and I, I swear maybe I only played the actual game part like four or five times, but the plastic shark became like a regular toy with, uh, with you know, against my action figures and stuff. There's always a giant shark that came up and, and cause you could just shove your, like, your G.I. Joe's down its throat and everything. It was, it's really, it was, it's pretty big and hollow on the inside, so you could fit a lot of crap in there. So, and then... The original oh, obviously is long gone, but I found it at like a pawn shop or somewhere. I can't even remember wow. uh, one complete in box. I'm like hell yeah, so that's sitting on that's the shelf. That's got to be worth some money. I bet it is. Yeah. So I had I didn't have that game, but you know that, the Imperial Toy Company put out those just kind of generic looking rubber sharks, which I think might have had like a Jaws tag on the license because they also made King Kong and Godzilla toys. Ways uh-huh. that were officially licensed, but those were the Godzilla ones are eighty five. The Kong ones probably came out seventy six or so for the Dino De Laurentiis Kong movie. So I, I would bet those rubber sharks originally came out for Jaws, but they, you know, they kept waves of them would come out every time there would be a Jaws movie. So I remember, I think the one I had has a Jaws three tag on it. But yeah, that nice. that thing ate a lot of GI Joes in the bathtub too. <laughs> <laughs> cool i'll have to take a picture of that and let you guys check it out i thought about doing a video uh, based on that on that game oh hell yeah cool. but if, if it's still if it's sealed in the box you don't want to take the wrapping off it, oh but. it's it's been used it's not oh yeah okay. it's okay. not like shrink wrapped or um you know but the box looks i mean from a distance it doesn't look like it's ever been tampered with like it's Shit, ever in been that opened. case i think you're required to do the video aren't yeah. you like i have to all see right. it, even if it's just for me to look at it <laughs> god damn i want to see this thing all right no problem i'll i'll definitely do that then so i've got the uh uh Oh, what are they called? The reaction figures. They did a Jaws line, and there's Quentin yeah. Cooper and Brody, but I don't have those, but I do have the shark. And it comes with a little uh, compressed air scuba tank that you can stick in his mouth. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I have the uh, the exclusive one with uh, has Quint in his mouth, and he's bloody. Oh, they nice. did that at for Comic-Con, and then for some reason they started popping up at Toys R Us, so I picked one up. Hmm. But I have, yeah, I have uh, Brody Hooper, and, and then I bought the shark with Quentin in his mouth, and it's awesome. So most of you guys are probably way too young to ever play it, but did anybody ever play the Jaws video game? The NES game? Oh, there was an NES game? I'm talking about yep. old school one. Like I think there was an Atari one that was based off of the stand-up arcade game. Kind of the same one you see in the beginning of Piranha. Well, I was gonna say, they play that in Jaws, too, because when it cuts to that scene on the beach where Peter Benchley is the reporter talking about there's a cloud hanging over Amity, a cloud in the shape of a killer shark, you see a kid playing a, a big cabinet game like that where you're oh, shooting nice. a shark with a harpoon gun. Nice. So I wonder if that's the same game they're playing on Piranha. No, I don't remember, so I haven't seen Piranha in a while. Is the NES game like that, though, too? Or? Uh, I don't, well, I can't say for sure, but the NES game, you are... You have to swim back and forth, or you you drive your boat back and forth, collecting shells underwater. Like, and like you're swimming up and down, and there's 
you know, things coming from the right and things coming from the up, and you got to collect shells and trade them in for power because Jaws will come attack you periodically. But if you don't have your power up, he you, he'll he'll swim away before you can kill. Him. And then event and then when you finally get enough power to take his energy bar down, so it's kind of like if anyone's played the Friday the Thirteenth Nintendo game. Uh, like yeah. it takes a while to build up your strength before you can actually take Jason, and then in the end, you get to stab him through the mouth with your boat. Nice. <laughs> That's it's, awesome. it's not. It's not very good, but it's worth. You know, it's it's an it's worth a. It might be worth five bucks if you got an NES floating around. So they stole the ending of Jaws: The Revenge from the Jaws video game. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> does it roar at the end of uh, <laughs> the game like it does in Jaws: The Revenge? It just might. <clears throat> Now, I wish I was able to ride the Jaws ride at Universal before they shut it down. No, yeah, yeah. But it, it, Universal. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say it has has sort of the same legend and curse that the movie did, where their animatronic sharks broke down constantly to the point where it pushed the opening date back, and then like opening week, it was barely running, and I think it got to the point where it was like so much maintenance that when they found anything to replace it, they were just so ecstatic to do that. <laughs> I was at Universal Studios when I was nine, and I was so excited. That was like all I wanted to do was go on the Jaws ride, and the fucking shark was broken. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just like I said, it's like notorious for that. There's Actually, on Amazon, there's this really awesome book you can buy about the history of that ride itself, and it's like a full picture book with stories and the history and everything and it's really interesting um because like i said it sort of has a legend much like the movie but what's cool they replaced it with uh harry potter diagon alley but if you go back there the universal studios the uh, creative team to pay tribute to the history of the jaws ride there's there's little easter eggs all the way throughout um diagon alley for jaws which is really cool there's um like shark, they have shark jaws, like like bones, you know, like almost like fossils in several of the shop windows. There's there's like a little record store in Diagon Alley, and it has uh, I think it's like a made up band called like the Quint, the Quint <laughs> Quint Quintet or something, and it's nice. supposed to be like they made up like this this fake band, and they have vinyl records. Um, there's just all kinds of cool little Easter eggs back there if you know what you're looking for. And, of course, they, they still have the gigantic shark. Um, right across the street, there's, like, a seafood restaurant, and they have one hanging up just like in the movie by his cool. tail, and you can, you can pose for a picture. So they, they recognize the importance of that film, the history. There's, there's still all kinds of Jaws merchandise you can buy there. It's just sort of a bummer that the ride itself isn't there. Yeah. I think it's still at Universal Japan, though. I think it's the last one still running that. To and, Japan! Um, yeah, I think they're still. I think they're still running that and the Back to the Future ride, which is gone too. Oh, <sighs> yeah, it's a nice throw, throwback to the uh, callback to the beginning of the episode. Yep. I wonder if Brian's sad face is in that book. <laughs> Just a little kid sitting next to the broken shark, pouting. I didn't even get to see the stupid shark. <laughs> From the videos, you can you can go on like full ride ride throughs on YouTube. People recorded the whole thing, and it's really cool. They do it at night and at day, and uh, it's sort of crazy. Like as someone who's been there several times now with Diagon Alley, to think 
that was water and they had jaws back there because they took several years to rebuild it but these people are obsessive with these rides when they're closed and they want to be on the very last ride so there's videos of people you know that that camped out waiting all day for the very last ride on the jaws ride and it's it's sort of there's actually a pretty funny video of this guy who goes around diagon alley and he keeps asking all the workers like so where's Amity? Like, where, where do I get? Where do I find the shark? He's just sort of being an, an asshole, but it's actually pretty pretty funny because the employees are just not having it. But he just keeps messing. like he, like he just keeps playing an idiot. Like like so where's where is the ride? And it, it's funny, but awesome. Oh, anything else? Anybody else want to add to to Jazz before we move on? And you didn't think there was anything else to say. I was worried, I know. especially <laughs> since it was a little kind of quiet when it first got brought up. I'm like, oh, we have nothing left oh, to talk about. I mean, none of us are going to say anything about Jaws that anyone <clears throat> hasn't heard before. Any of the Shark is Still Working documentary or the you know the Steven Spielberg doc or anything like that. Yeah. It's just such a great movie. I love talking about it. It always makes me excited. It always makes me happy to watch it. It's so good. Am I the only one that kind of I, I I drop um, I, I when I think of Jaws I also think of The Exorcist. Is there any like I think about kind of the both the ways they they're you know this giant unforeseen you know this unforeseen evil comes and and they're and they're able to get a, like to to beat it, which is was I guess that's kind of rare for for movies in that era, at least horror movies. Um, evil always kind of had a way of winning in in that era, but this those for those in those two movies like good triumphs. Yeah. I could see the connection, yeah. Yeah, well, kind of the like this apocalyptic moment. Like the seventies was big into the apocalypse, I think. Yeah, and 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 that's one of the rare movies, right? Where as opposed to something like you know Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Last House on the Left, like they're able to like you know even if they defeat evil, there's still like the scars and the and the unease of the whole situation. Like they can never go back to normalcy. Yeah. Interesting. It seems like. It seems like at the end of Jaws, though, like Chief Brody might even be over his fear of the water. Like, you know, they yeah. swim back to shore and he's not freaking out. And, like, they've bonded over. Because Quint was always kind of the odd one out of the group. And, like, they they talked to him and they kind of liked him most of the time, probably. But he was a psychotic asshole. So <laughs> they, they weren't ever going to be besties when they got back to shore. Yeah. Also, I, I understand what you mean because there is that scene where the shark pops out of the water and says to Hooper, your mother sucks whale cock in hell. <laughs> 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 well, isn't that really what Jaws 4 was all about? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, I love all the love for Jaws the Revenge. It's awesome. <laughs> How could you not love that dopey-ass movie? Come on. Oh, I know. I still want to get the novelization. Yeah, I've told you about that, right? Yeah, because it adds in like voodoo stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, adds the, in the, the shark is actually summoned by a voodoo curse to. <laughs> yeah, to destroy the Brodies. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I knew that too. I've never read any of the other novelization. I mean, I've read Jaws, obviously, but I haven't read two, three, or four. And and because of that voodoo thing, um, it like if if they were to, they would have worked that the voodoo angle into the movie. There were some elements that would actually make more sense, like how how um, what's your face the mom seemed to always have some kind of psychic connection with the shark, you know, 
Uh, like she always yeah. knew when things were going to happen, and she would also flashback to things that she was not at. Right. <laughs> so, and that all that was tied into this whole voodoo curse thing that was in the book. I will also say I genuinely love Jaws three. I mean, you can. I did a review of it on my blog last year sometime. You can go back and read that for the details. But like, I I, I know it's not any damn good, but I just don't care. <laughs> like, I I, I, I love fun. it not in the way I love Jaws: The Revenge. Is like a haha. This is funny and stupid. Like, I just really love Jaws three. It's not defensible in any any way, shape, or form. I'm well aware of that, but I don't care. Okay, I think I know where you're coming from. It's like my obsession with Neon Maniacs. It's not a good movie. I can't really <laughs> defend it, but I freaking love it. Okay, so what's next? Who wants to go next? Let's do Race with the Devil, because I love that one. Oh, good. Um, I, I will admit that I put this one on the list solely because I've been meaning to watch this movie for years now. And I've never seen it before, so I'm like, I, I'm putting it on the list. I finally make myself watch it. So, Yeah, the plot's pretty simple. Two couples are in a big RV. They're on vacation having a good time. They accidentally witness a uh, satanic ritual, like a um, sacrifice, I guess you could say. And they are on the run from the satanic, the satanic cult that's sort of terrorizing them and the uh, it's sort of like a mixture of a road movie with a Satan twist, and uh, I don't know. It was I my, like my wife sat down and started watching it with me, and we didn't finish it the first night. And I was like, I'm just gonna rewatch it, or I'm gonna finish it tomorrow. She's like, No, you have to finish it with me. I want, I have to know what happens. <laughs> like the, the whole time she was watching it with me, she's like cheering. It was, I mean, she really enjoyed it too. I mean, Peter Fonda plays like ultimate badass towards the end where. He's hanging out of the RV and shooting guns, and uh, the Good movie Lord. was so much fun. The whole third act turned into a Mad Max movie. You know, yeah, so, it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> just like out of nowhere, like freaking, we're blowing up cars and running trucks off the road and smashing yeah, like, into things. And Roger just turns into a badass, like right in the third act, and does not. It's like he's just tired of the shit, and he's going to take care of it. Yeah, I, f- I feel like they shared a look. They're like, all right, we're just. It's all out now. Like we got to do what we got to do. Yeah, there's yeah. there's there's no turning back from this. Yeah, we got to start shooting people. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. But they killed the dog, which is such a big bummer. I hate any time they kill the dog. Yeah. Yeah, and that dog was so fucking cute. Yes, <laughs> cute. And and the scene where they find it dead, like the oh. gal who owned the dog, really felt like that was kind of hard to oh, watch. Yeah. Honestly, like she was. Destroyed so distraught, yeah. and, and I knew as soon as I saw that adorable, poofy little dog, I'm like fuck, that dog's not gonna make it to the credits. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I I didn't even really think that hard on it. I thought the whole point of the dog there was was kind of the um, there in the uh, the first act when it kept barking and they, no one could understand what was wrong with the dog. And I just I just thought it was just like a foreshadowing device, right? Or to annoy the the other guy in the <laughs> RV. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's his name? Um, what's Warren that actor's Oates. name? Is it? What's that? Warren, Warren Oates. Oates. That's right. And it also has a uh, Hot Lips Houlihan in it. 
Or yeah, when I, I like you, Mike, I had not seen this one before, and I'd been, it's been on my radar forever to watch. I just never got around to it, but it's one of those, I, I wouldn't, not necessarily iconic, but like, it's a really well-known 70s horror movie, and it was just one of those gaps in my knowledge. Yeah. And when the credits came up, like, Loretta Swit, why does that name <laughs> sound so familiar? And then I saw her, like, holy shit, that's why. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking hot lips. Did anyone catch the uh, Franklin from Chainsaw Master cameo? Oh, no. no. Yeah, he's out there. I see, yeah, on IMDb, I see him there. He was the husky uh, guy who tried to tear the cardboard uh, back window out and got blown away. No kidding? Oh, now I got to watch it again. Just <laughs> Damn. Well, that's awesome. That's so- the only thing I've ever seen him in other than, other than uh, Franklin. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's why I didn't recognize him. He wasn't in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Um, it also has uh, R.G. Armstrong in it, who I I love when I see him in anything, and he was awesome yeah. as the sheriff. Yeah, he's yeah. good. One of those great '70s character actors that just he shows up and gives you the warm fuzzies. You <laughs> warm fuzzies, but also like creeps you out at the same time. Well, no, I, I'm not <laughs> saying like he get, his character did not give me the warm fuzzies in this movie, but it's like seeing Dick Miller in something. Or that, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Seeing uh, uh, Keenan Wynn or M. Emmett Walsh or somebody like that. It's just like, oh, good, this guy's here. His scenes will be good. Yeah, because uh, with his character, I, I loved his character the way and the way he uh, did it because it just... It didn't feel like he was totally in. You couldn't quite decide if he was totally in on it, or but something totally felt off with him. Yeah. Something was not right. So, and, little, and granted, this yeah. is seventy-five. I mean, we've seen this over and over and over again nowadays. Where every time you look, there's another person that's that's part of the whole, the whole uh, family conspiracy. Yeah, the whole family thing. Um, but like, this is this is seventy-five. So. Trying to put yourself in that mindset yeah. of like you're seeing this kind of this kind of um, these kind of little plot twists for the first time, but I'm convinced it wasn't because that they that they hunted him down because that they uh, saw the ritual. I think they hunted him down because those women stole that book from the library. Yeah, probably. I mean, Terry, you could back me up, right? Librarians are pretty (laughs) hardcore about that. Yeah, it's a killable offense, I would say. (laughs) At least least worth killing a dog over. (laughs) No! Okay, no. Is it it standard for you guys to put snakes in the RV if they don't return the books? (laughs) (laughs) Um, no. That that scene sort of cracked me up because it's like you know the snakes come out and he's trying to it's like stabbing stop, it for seventeen minutes. Stop the goddamn RV and pull over! So right? Fucking long. Yeah, That's why did he keep driving? Crazy. And I couldn't tell. Like it, I kept thinking that they were getting bitten. Like, oh, I swear! I swear, Peter, Peter Fonda, Fonda. Yeah, I thought yeah, for sure he got bitten. Like he was grabbing his shoulder. I'm like, oh, did he get bit? He got bit. When that one but that one snake that was just uh, that was just stuck on Warren Oates' pant leg, no. yeah, that son of a like bitch wouldn't let go. They were trying to stab it with the the ski pole or something. <laughs> All the screaming for fucking ten minutes. So that scene did go on a little long. Yeah, way too long. Not to say it wasn't tense. Like it was intense. Yeah, but 
still. Yeah. Every time one of those snakes would strike, it just I would jump. It was freaking me out. Like, no! <laughs> but yeah, it was long. And why he kept driving during that whole thing. I'm like, what the... Just no, fucking pull away. over. Pull over and get out of the RV. Yeah. Like, just, just step away from them, maybe. I don't know. Like, quit antagonizing them. But yeah, I was the same way. It was freaking me out. Man. And also, this uh, movie kind of makes me feel a little, uh, quite a bit less than a man. It re- I really questioned my manhood when watching this movie because the men in this movie um, know how to do dirt bikes, fix RVs, and load shotguns. I don't know how I to do any of those. their wives to go out into the woods for a swinging weekend. <laughs> yeah. Man, and tell me fucking, that's not what they were doing out there. <laughs> <laughs> they were fucking off roading in that RV. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> like when they're yes. going through like the shallow like river, I'm like, what the fuck? They're not meant for that. <laughs> and that's why they get don't let it stop. <laughs> they are recreational vehicles, but they're not built for off roading. Oh, and when that R V gets stuck in there in the in the river and those Saint worshippers are running up. I'm just like, oh my god! Lots, yeah, lots of really good tension scenes. Yeah, for yeah. sure. A lot of great tension scenes, and and it doesn't ever really let up once they, um, once they. But my also, I guess, okay. My other question is, is how far does this cult go, or yeah, how right. big is this town? Because they drive forever, then they up, end up at this gas station, and apparently everybody at this gas station's in on it. <laughs> then they get in the car and they drive again forever. It's called Texas. <laughs> so it's the whole state? Probably. Well, yeah, because they're just trying to stop them before they get to, uh, or, what was it, Amarillo? or Yeah. So yeah. they just keep following them so they before they get there because they don't want them to tell. That's what yeah, really scary Texans are. <laughs> <laughs> It was just crazy. It just it just kept going and going because they reveal all of them at the end there, like the the one couple that, um, the annoying couple that takes them out to the bar, the night you the dog is killed. Were in on it, though. I knew like, they were in on it too. Well, none yeah. of, none of it is really. I'm just saying, how far does this expand? The pool scene it's obviously was the way more than just the little town. Was that the pool scene was the creepiest one of those moments. When the girls are like swimming, and then there's like all the old people just sitting around the pool who are Staring. creepily looking at them, and you're not sure if it's because they're devil worshippers or they're just really old creeping. She's, or she's and super paranoid. And, yeah. <laughs> and that whole thing about the conspiracy being so far-reaching uh, that, like, I I have to admit, I didn't really care for this one that much. Oh, interesting. I mean, it it's not awful by any means but yeah. I just did like that really took me out of it just how far reaching that, it is the fact that you know from the beginning every single person they're going to meet in this entire movie is in on it and right. there were what 12 people out in the woods that night <laughs> so yeah. how the fuck does like everyone in this entire goddamn county <laughs> like are they under the thrall of the devil worshippers and they're not necessarily part of the cult, but they know the consequences to them and their families if they don't help. Or is is everybody really involved? Yeah. And that just like they're it, it's too 
it is too unrelated. They shouldn't have been able to go that far. Like they should have kept the action more contained if that's the route they were going to take. Yeah. Like Deliverance or Southern Comfort when they get to the town at the end and you kind of know the whole town is in on it, but it's a town. Yeah. And you know, the rest of the time they're moving through the wilderness fighting off maybe, you know, five or 10 guys not just wave after wave of fucking hillbillies and rusty shitty old trucks yeah. coming after them with like it it was just too much to be believable to me and i i get it. it's a satan cult movie it doesn't need to be believable whatever but you know there there are just certain limits that kind of take me out of things and that just threw me like you know it was it was well done the action was really good you know i enjoyed all the car stunts and stuff but yeah, by the end of it, I was just like, "Fucking come on!" There's no way there are this many Satanists in Texas all <laughs> right, in like the same spot. The it's elaborately planned roadblock with yeah, the school bus, with the school bus, and, right. and the children. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> are the children Satan worshippers too? On a sun on a Sunday. On a, yeah. yeah. What, so who like called up the Satanic school bus driver? Like, hey, Bill, get your Satan school bus out here and get, get all the. <laughs> Get, get all the evil Sunday school kids out and line the road and pretend to be injured because they'll really buy that that's the reason that, you know, on a Sunday with a school bus. Why not just line the road with fucking spikes? Done. Yeah. Dig a trench. There Done. You go. Yeah. Set the road on fire. How, Done. how far did they actually go, though? Like, it seems like they start and stop so much. Like, I don't even know how far it really was. They never they really, really got to that next town. Yeah, so I don't because they still pulled over before they got to that. But next they were town. driving for a but long. But they were driving time. for a long time, though. That's the that's the it's that's so the key weird. thing. Like, yes, you don't see any other towns, but but I could play devil's advocate here a little <laughs> bit. I mean, I totally agree with Brian because I thought that through the movie too. It didn't it didn't take anything away from the movie for me. I still really enjoyed it. But I can play devil's advocate here um, a little bit because I just kind of thought of this. You notice there's several moments in the film where they they see like the same what was it like a tow truck or a pick a pickup truck, and it seems yeah, to always truck. and it seems to always be like parked at like the next gas station they stopped at or whatever. What yeah. if they were always one step ahead of them and they get to that gas station and they I don't know kill whoever's working in the gas station and just have one of their Satan worshiper guys running the gas station um, take out the phone because that's obviously why they're stopping. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's something like that. And yeah, but even and the other oh. thing too, if also you want to rationalize that it's bigger than the town, if you think about it, our RG Armstrong is a sheriff. So he's county official, not not local. Anyway, what are you going to say, Terry? Well, I know there was one of one of the first stops that they had. The tow truck showed up after they had already been there, so I don't know how solid that is. There was that one gas station. It was <laughs> it was already parked there, though, like towards towards the third uh, act. It was like one of their last stops before the shit hit the fan. The tow truck was parked there already. Well, I didn't fall for the people at the RV park that took them out to the bar. I thought they were okay. That what? I thought they were okay. Eh. It was okay. They the, were too weird. The couple at the RV park <laughs> that took them to the bar. You didn't think they were in on it? No, maybe at first, but I thought after they got there and hung the, out. The only one that really, I mean, as the school bus one was a little bit, but the the final, like, we're like, oh, we're just going to pull off in this random road, and 
the Satanists already happen to have like this perfect like shape of gasoline in the perfect spot where they're they just park. happen to park right in the middle of this gasoline. Like, what pile. the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, then they just all they appear did it out after of the they parked in a giant field. <laughs> I agree, but I don't care. I thought that ending was awesome. Like, oh, it was I, that was like her. the creepiest fucking moment of the movie. And uh, and at that point, I'm like, this is the end of the movie. They are fucking going to end it here, aren't they? And just all of these people in robes just surrounding the RV, and I'm like, these people are fucked. Yep. <laughs> I thought it was a great ending. Yeah. Yeah, a little on the convenience side, but like I thought it was Slightly. I still thought it was a great ending. A little uh, artistic license. Eh. <laughs> well, it, I I hate to 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 in, uh, impose here, but I thought The Devil's Reign was the uh, better devil movie of 75, but somebody said there was a story earlier about The Devil's Reign and I would like to hear it if that if such a story exists. Oh, I kind of briefly Ran past it. So, like, you know, we posted on Slack the list of the movie. Well, first of all, going back to the episode before this, when we did um, zombie films, uh, I posted a list, and one of them on the list was was Dead Set, which is actually was actually a, a BBC miniseries, a TV show, uh, a series, and not a movie. And, like, I had forgotten, I had seen Dead Set before, but I had forgotten until Brian reminded me that, so... So I'm like, okay, we don't have to watch that one. Let's just take that one off the list. And Jason, and then and then I noticed Jason posted on Twitter that he watched it, and I felt bad because I'm like, oh no, he watched it, but he didn't have to because we're not going to talk about it on the show. So then we decided to do this episode, and then I and I post the list, and you know it, you know it's it's these movies, and then I see on Twitter he's watching Devil's Reign, and I'm like. I, did I put Devil's Rain on the list? I don't remember putting Devil's Rain on the list. I'm like, oh no, I did it to him again, you know. Or I, th- or I thought like, oh, Race of the Devil, and he must have thought Devil's Rain. I don't know, you know. And then and then come to find out, he just decided he wanted to watch it. So, yeah, bravo to you, sir. Good call. Yeah, I like that one. I need to give that one another try because um, the only time I've ever seen it was at when we watched it for a movie night. Boy, and if you remember, it was not favorably received at that time. Right, I remember nobody liked it, um, and then I caught it on like TNT at like three in the morning or something like that, and I ended up liking it a lot more. Uh, yeah, but you know, watching it, you know, not delirious. Yeah, and that was a problem because it's it's slow. Like this one starts out slow, and I think it was like one of the last movies on the lineup that night, so we were probably watching around four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and that, that that is not the time to watch Devil's Reign in that mindset. Yeah, but the atmosphere is unparalleled for Satan movies. And correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the the Shatner after he's possessed by the by the cult? Um, isn't that mask the one that ultimately became the Michael Myers mask? No, it was a Captain Kirk mask. Oh, I could have swore I heard it that. Sure, somewhere. looked like it though. Yeah. I mean, it, it might have been the same. When they did the eyes it, for it. Yeah. it, it, it might have been the same mold. And it yeah. got repurposed, but I, it was a licensed Star Trek Halloween mask that got turned into Michael Myers. So, it, yeah, I, I can't remember where I heard that, but yeah, I, th- I know you're. Yeah, it was definitely a Captain Kirk mask. I want to say it might have been repurposed, but I could be just confusing documentaries or something like that. So, Jason, what'd you think of Devil's Reign since since it's been brought up? 
Oh, I thought it sucked. <laughs> but, I mean, I watched... No, I mean, it was uh, entertaining, and I... If you haven't seen it... I have actually I, honestly never seen it. I've seen clips. I've seen, like... I could totally see you and Brian jizzing all over this movie. Because <laughs> it's that kind of bad. Do you often imagine... No! Okay. <laughs> Just shooting, having a jizz fight? That's a little weird. Okay. <laughs> I do love Ernest Borgnine, and I remember he does turn into a pretty cool-looking devil monster at the end. Yeah, way better than, like, a gargoyle's costume or something. His, <laughs> his devil out, uh, makeup was so cool, so much cooler. Here we go. Just saying. So, uh, but why didn't, for overall, why didn't you like it? I thought it, and it's Tom Scarrett's in it. Oh, nice. Um... Early John Travolta makes Early, an appearance in it, yeah, too. Yeah, hardly. Yeah, hardly. Um, I just thought it was... Uh, what's the right word? Um, hard to follow. Oh, yeah? Because I'm like not a super written, smart or... guy. But, like, I don't know. I just They just jumped right into this lore and storyline. and I mean, I get it. And I, I followed it. I just thought it was chunky or, you know, it wasn't... Was it pretty slow paced though too? Though uh, I don't know. Not for you. I mean, it was. It was. I. I don't know. It was a movie that I could see you guys liking. <laughs> that's how I know. That's just the class of movie I'd put it in. I mean, it was fine, and I'm. I'm glad I watched it. And like, I feel like after this weekend of watching these two Satan movies, I like. I, I can't remember the instance, but there was something that happened that I jumped to Satanism <laughs> in my brain first before something a little more logical. I don't know. I can't remember the situation. But like, where are my car keys? Goddamn Satanist. I know. It was something like that. It was something like that. I'm like, oh, man, I've seen too many this weekend. i got to stop. <sighs> to bring it back to... Um, Race with the Devil, though, I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't seen a lot of Peter Fonda movies. Yeah. I thought he was great. Oh, yeah, he was Like, great. I think he's going to be a good actor someday. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was pretty good. This guy's going places. <laughs> but, yeah, I enjoyed him. I, I liked watching him. Did it make me think that I would watch Escape from L.A.? No. It wasn't that good. Does it make you want to watch Easy Rider? Maybe. Or Ghost Rider. Is he in Ghost Rider? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> Did he? Was he in that um, Easy Rider sequel? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't think he... I don't know. There, There is, like... It was recent, wasn't it? Like... Over the last, or, uh, over the last ten, fifteen years, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how recent it is. Yeah, we're not talking about Wild Hogs, are we? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> that's not the sequel. That's that's part three. because oh. he's in that. No, yeah, there was there was some really super shitty Easy Rider sequel that was made that somehow some dentist or whatever wanted to make a movie and somehow he got his hands on the rights to Easy Rider and made yeah, his own sequel. Sad. 
Yeah. Yeah. But I can't remember if Peter Fonda was in that, or maybe it was the dentist himself that actually starred in it. And it didn't have Peter Fonda. I just don't remember. It was supposed to be the same characters, though. Wasn't Wasn't he also in a video Asinitis' god-awful Jaws knockoff tentacles? Peter Fonda? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, was he? Maybe that was a different Fonda. I think it was him, though. There's too many Fondas. There are. He is not in the sequel, which is Easy Rider 2, The Ride Home. Yeah, yep, that's right. No, he's not in that one. Uh, that's good. Good for him, anyway. But Jeff Fahey was. Nice. Yeah. Oh, really? As a, as a guy named Wes Coast. Oh, <laughs> God. That's awesome. I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Wikipedia says it is the conservative uh, point of view compared to the countercultural tone of uh, the first one. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so so it's missing the point, the motion picture. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> say, are we sure Dinesh D'Souza didn't do this one? <laughs> Man, I honestly I didn't even realize that Peter Fonda was still acting. Wow. Uh-huh. Uh, we're looking at his IMDb right now, so that's entertaining for the listeners. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Peter Fonda is pretty sweet, pretty kick-ass. I enjoyed him in it, and I didn't like the other guy at first, but I totally warmed up to him. Especially that moment when, like, Peter Fonda's wife wants to go home, and Warren Oates has a little hissy fit. Yeah, that's like okay. Mm-hmm. This guy's the asshole character in the movie, but then like you kind of get he over didn't that get his swinging. They were going before the fun happens. They were going skiing. They weren't swinging. I don't know. The woman that played Peter Fonda's wife, if I was Warren Oates, I'd throw a fit too if I didn't get to go swinging. I don't know what that means. She was hot. <laughs> okay. All right, where are we? Race with the Devil. Any devil. more on Race with the Devil? Huh? Any more on Race with the... Uh. <laughs> Anybody else say anything you want to say about Race with the Devil? Wasted with the Devil. Yep. <laughs> Those two were that night. All right. Uh, Jason, what one should we talk about next? Uh, one I really enjoyed. Well, I enjoyed them all, honestly. Okay. I was going to bring up uh, the Stepford Wives. Okay. I hadn't seen this version, and... Oh, God. You saw the new one? That's not at all good at all. <laughs> that sentence made sense. <laughs> Honestly, I don't... I didn't I did, mind the new one. Is that with one. Uh, Cryer? No, that's with... Uh, uh, Matthew Broadway and Nicole Kidman. I didn't mind it either. I liked it. Like, I that's get it, it's... Cheap. Well, that's why I liked it. It's cheesy and it's but 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 also I'm a big fan of the guy who directed it, and Frank Oz directed the remake. So I kind of watched it with his sensibility, kind of the same, like his same twist he did on like um, you know like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels or uh, Little Shop of Horrors. So it kind of had that Frank Oz vibe for me, but I. You know, I mean, I get why it bombed, and I get why people wouldn't like it, but I, I, I enjoyed it. It's kind of the same way I like, same kind of the same reason I like the movie uh, Tower, Tower Heist. You got a boner for that movie. <laughs> I do. It's not a good movie, but I freaking love it. And it's another one you can't, I can't, I can't rationalize why I like it. 
Um, but yeah. So is this a 2004 podcast or the 1975? What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, for real. So, Stepford Wives from 1974. I really um, like this movie. I'd seen it before and enjoyed revisiting it. Catherine Ross is awesome. She was. Um, yeah, that, that final scene in this movie, not to jump ahead, or maybe I should talk about what the movie's about first. Go for Would it. that be a good idea? Yeah, why not? <laughs> I'm just taking over Jason's movie. Um, so, family moves from New York to a little Connecticut town called Stepford. Um, and everything, you know, all of these wives seem a little bit too uh, good to be true, a little bit too stereotypical 50s housewife and prim and proper. And turns out that they're robots, Disney robots at that. <laughs> I like how they bring in the... That the guy used to work for Disney. <laughs> I just want to point out how much I love the fact that you pronounced robots the same way as Nick Adams does in Invasion of the Astro Monster. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I mean, that's not how I really pronounce it. I was doing that. I know, company. I know. But just okay. anytime anyone says robots, it makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah. But I'm going to jump ahead now that I explained it. But the final scene, <laughs> when she goes into her, like, duplicate room where they're, they've started making her uh, robot version. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it's her with, like, the giant boobs and the blacked out eyes. Yeah. Like, that is, like, burned into my memory for some reason. Oh, yeah. Creepy as fuck. Yeah, those yeah. eyes. Yeah. That's what I loved about the movie is like I think we all everyone who knows this the name of this movie pretty much knows what it's about by now, I imagine. So for me watching it, I didn't remember any of the remake, but really other than the concept and yeah. So as I watched it, I'm just like I was excited about how's this going to play out. You know, like how is it going to get to where I know what's going? Yeah. And yeah. how's it how is that going to happen because the movie was kind of long and slow. I was about gonna say it takes there. its time getting there. It so. really does. And, so especially and it, if like you know what's coming, there's a little bit of extra tension that probably the people in 1975 didn't see. Yeah, just because you know it's coming. All the hints and it's about just taking forever to get there. And yeah, there's just all these like hints reading along the, way. the fucking dictionary and shit. You're like, what? And that's cool. And like, it wasn't happening, and it wasn't happening, and it's just like, how is this gonna end? And yeah, you're right. That. That ending was fucking creepier than I even thought it was going to be. Yeah. Well, and I'm not that familiar with the novel, but has anyone else read the book? Remember who you're talking to. Yeah, Brian. Right. Yeah, okay. So, I know it's by Ira Levin, the same guy who wrote Rosemary's Baby, but I have not right. read it. Right, yeah. Well, it's just, I, I don't, I'm not sure if the book was set in the same time frame or not. I'm not sure how closely that was adapted, but it, it was just a good fit. You know, 60s and 70s was such a revolutionary time. And um, so all of these women, you know, the women, that was a big women's movement kind of era. So you have um, 
Catherine Ross's character, Joanna, and like her friend Bobby are like the quintessential 70s cool chicks, like, you know, they're their own women and things. And so kind of that callback to it just, it just seemed like it fit well with that time frame and why it was so popular because women were getting away from the whole 50s housewife thing and that's why it was terrifying like no don't let us go back we don't want to be those crazy ladies and things <laughs> and you knew her it was cool to like they just suddenly were different the next day yeah. and then you're like you're like you know it's going to happen to her friend you know it's going to happen oh yeah oh and it's so tragic and like <laughs> but it was not bobby yeah i just but it was also really subtle like it really just happened yeah. and there wasn't a big super revealy type feel moment but you're just like oh it's oh just, shit yeah. yeah so it's Impactful. And the, some of the creepier moments are like when one of the robots malfunctions. <laughs> there, yeah, there's, there's a few moments when they malfunction. Yeah, it's creepy. Yeah, like the first one with um, the Van Sant woman at the party who just goes up to everyone and keeps repeating the same phrase or in the kitchen when after she stabs Bobby and she just starts... Oh, you know, doing repetitive things and just dropping the teacup because she can't get it on the counter, and those were really creepy moments. I'm I'm glad we have like a female perspective on the show because when I watched it, I was like, where do I sign up for this? Dad's moving to step. I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah, That's why it's scary. Yeah. <laughs> so you found the Very end of the evil. movie uplifting, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh. Yes, he finally got that perfect wife. <laughs> Good for him. Let <laughs> me guess your wife didn't watch this one with you. <laughs> no, not this one. Yeah. Uh, she was in the kitchen cooking or something, oh. I guess. Right, dropping teacups. <laughs> what what I would like to know, and maybe this is answered in the book, is what do they do with the actual women? Right. Yeah. Are they skinning them and using their real flesh to cover the robot exoskeleton so that it's you know well, soft no, and supple? But then it would take a lot of. They'd smell like formaldehyde. But I mean, with Joanna though, she's she confronts her robot self. Right. She already has. So, oh yeah, good point. Yeah. So are they just turning them into soylent jello mold? Are they taking their eyes and killing them? <laughs> well, maybe. They they hired the dude from Halloween three to create exact replicas of the women, but you know, <laughs> well, Joanna like just wasn't finished. That's why she had no eyes. Because he says that they, like the one guy says something about how they weren't quite ready for her yet or something. Yeah. So they hadn't completed her eyes. But I was I have a bit of an anecdote too. I mean I think that. One thing I'll say is that, you know, Stepford has kind of become, like, a very common phrase for, you know, if you see, like, a town that's just looks like it's out of the 50s and is, like, too perfect to Pella, be perfect. Iowa. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Pella's a great yeah. example. People are like, oh, it's like Stepford, you know. I 
I don't. Maybe I'm the only one that's heard that phrase, but no, yeah, you're right for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have visited this town. There's a town called Newtown in hmm. Missouri. I'm not sure if anyone's familiar with it, but it is the creepiest fucking town <laughs> I've ever been to. I had to go there for a choir tour, and we drove into town, and um, there was no one on the streets. Like, I didn't see people anywhere. It was so quiet, and all of the houses are, like, literally, like, one of three styles and one of three colors. Like, they are all (laughs) fucking same. Sounds like heaven. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, the only person we saw driving into town was this one, like, lone child standing in a glass door just staring at us. I think you are. Oh, that's awesome. Creepy, creepy, creepy. And R.G. Armstrong was the sheriff. Amen. <laughs> oh, that sounds awesome. And you actually performed in this town? Yeah. So, to, a, to an empty crowd. <laughs> were they all, yeah, just sitting there staring straight ahead the whole time? <laughs> Probably. I can't remember. <laughs> That's awesome. I know where I'm taking my next vacation. I'll also say I really like the the very last end, uh, the uh, denouement in the uh, supermarket. Uh, very creepy. Oh, just yeah. People just oh, walking, like, just, just completely post-human android universe walking around, having conversations with each other. But our yeah. Facebook feeds are going to be doing to each other when we're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not wrong. I love this movie, um, and most of the movies on this list, but this one in particular, I don't know what it is about it, but I just like the 70s style and the women and like their look in the 70s. I totally dig it. Like, Me too. Oh, yeah. Like their clothes, their hair, everything is just so rad. Like something changed in the 80s where it just wasn't for me, but the 70s, <laughs> like I dig it. I don't know. But just the feeling. It's like take out the whole subplot of changing these women. I just want to like watch them walk around and interact with each other it's like i'm just okay really, with this. they're like really earthy and laid back and yes yeah just a like soft so focus and, yeah yeah, yeah sure. i love it i love that just like i don't know i of course 70s like for movies in general is my favorite era but uh yeah this one's this one and just spoke to me i don't know i, I loved it like it's sort of funny because uh I don't know, you read some of the reviews and it's like, you, you see some of the people actually saying like, oh, I love her style. I love, it's like, this is a horror movie and you guys are paying attention to her outfits, but it's true. It's like, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So true. I was doing that too. I'm like, oh, nice. <laughs> Which that, like, it's a horror movie, but you're paying attention to their outfits and that kind of fits in like the movie tricked you into, you know, that's what, what the movie's about? talking about and you fucking fell mm-hmm. for it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I will say, a lot of the time I agree with you. I like the the '70s <laughs> chick aesthetic, but those hideous fucking like 1940s house coats that they wore and the uh. like the pajamas, like the pajamas that look like they were made out of your grandma's curtains, <laughs> like lace doily fucking. Uh, some, those are awful. Some. There was a no, lot I of clothing in the no, '70s I, that looks like they were made out of grandma's curtains. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You guys don't care because you just care that they don't wear bras. That's the whole thing. Yeah. That doesn't hurt anything, but. 
Like, not a single person wears a bra in this movie, I'm pretty sure. Well, do robots, are robots supposed to wear bras? I don't know. I do don't know the rules. Do they have to? I don't know. I don't think I don't... gravity affects them. They're fine. Probably not, right. <laughs> robots. Sweet. Yeah, awesome. Creepiness. Sorry, I'm just thinking about robots with no bras now. Thank, thanks for putting that in my ass. Robo nips. <laughs> like Bender. <laughs> Bender nips. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what's next? How about Deep Red? How about it? So good. You mean Profondo Rosso? Sure. Be a little, just be a little snooty there for a second. You mean Dario Argento's most overrated movie? <gasps> oh, wait, I'll, I'll save that. Oh, shit. Whoa. What's that even mean? Yeah, I'm curious now. Let's I get think we gotta it. go. We gotta go there now, don't we? Yeah, Brian, I think so. <laughs> it, no, because like uh, the, if somebody's gonna describe what the movie's about, that kind of <laughs> needs to happen before I bitch about it. Okay. Well, a guy who understands the movie super well, why don't you do it? <laughs> Without no, bitching, I, hmm. I, I don't understand. I don't understand why people like it so much. That's what I, I don't understand. Nope, I, I didn't bring this up. I'm not doing the synopsis. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Do it, Mike. Do it. I'm not doing it. Oh, jeez. Oh, um, I'll try. Um, so there's a musician, a pianist. <laughs> A, a piano player. Oh. I'll just say it like that from now on. Um, <laughs> I love that we're two years old. It's awesome. Um, he witnesses sort of a woman being murdered by some allegedly some dude in a trench coat and teams up with a weird reporter. Try to figure out who, who done it. Boom. Description. Is that good enough? Nailed it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and there's and the the uh, the pianist's journey uh, ultimately in, brings him to a house of folklore where there was a murder that was walled up. Um, so in finding his way there, he's eventually able to trace. The uh, trace the identity of the killer to a person he knows. Yeah, what he said. Yep. I was going to say, are we spoiling or are we not spoiling? We spoil. No, we're spoiling. Spoil. Okay. Yeah, we always spoil. Okay, well, it ends up being a drunk, kind of a, well, not quite a drifter, but kind of a misguided soul, uh, Carlo, who he knows and uh, ultimately gets dragged to death um, trying to flee the police, but it turns out it is actually his mother. Who uh, was who refused to go back to the uh, mental hospital and killed Carlo's father, um, and Carlo was protecting her. It's a wild session indeed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so did okay. Maybe I missed this <laughs> when I was watching the movie, but why is the mom, or is it the mom, or is it an aunt? It's mom. It's the mom. Why is she killing the psychic? Uh, because I believe it. I believe it's because the psychic could feel her. Yeah, it's that whole beginning oh, scene. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
So had she just taken in a movie that day instead, the uh, whole movie would have been averted. So, I just want to say for those people listening out there who don't own this movie, just fucking buy it. Don't bother trying to find a fucking copy to watch on YouTube because I'm fucking still pissed. I watched watched this movie like four fucking times this past week trying to watch a version that is dubbed in English. I finally figured out that one. Jesus, it cuts in and out of... Well, that's because it's the extended version and they didn't put the the new cuts in. That weird hacked up cutting in and out of English version is probably something somebody built like fan edit style out of... Because if you haven't... Well, was there really that much deleted stuff? Because it's like every scene, it goes in and out of English to Italian. The... The version that you find on a lot, because it fell into the public domain somehow for a while, so you can get it on a lot of those Mill Creek sets and that kind of like cheapo DVDs, but it's always the American edit. And like Jason just said, it's a good 20 minutes shorter than the Italian version. And it's a shitty pan and scan copy for that matter. Yeah. So somebody probably took that and found some, you know, just to hack it together and threw it up on YouTube. But yeah, you can get like the real Italian version now. Now there is a nice Blu-ray version on YouTube, but it's subtitled. And I didn't want to watch subtitled because I'm writing my notes for the show while I'm watching the movie. And I can't do that if it's subtitled. And here's the really biggest bullshit part of this whole story i own the fucking movie on dvd that's how too lazy i was to get up and go grab the dvd off the shelf and watch that like why are you having trouble with this movie you have it exactly i'm just too i've grown too lazy that i can't get up and put a goddamn dvd in no i have to watch three different versions on youtube have thousands of dvds we should just get rid of them then no Uh What no, is the, I, I, I love this movie. Yeah, What's wrong? The, the point of having thousands of DVDs is having thousands of DVDs. I get it. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and he get don't 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 let him fool you, Brian. He gets it too. If you were to look at his collection, and he's got a pretty big collection too, but half of them are still in cellophane. So doesn't mean I haven't oh, seen uh, them. I've seen them. I know that. Then why did you buy it? Because I needed to have it. <laughs> so deep red. Deep red. This movie is pretty good. What's wrong with it? Oh, is that for me? I think so. You, Brian. Yeah, the one guy that that is overrated. Extremely. (laughs) You know, I've seen this movie on several occasions. And every time I've tried to... And I'm starting to come around to the idea that I just, in general, like the idea of Giallo more than actual Giallo movies. Oh, really? (laughs) Like, and... Argento has some better ones. Like, I love Bird with the Crystal Plumage. That's great. You know, there, there are good ones, but yeah. this isn't one of them. It's too fucking long. It doesn't make a goddamn lick of sense. And the point of them is that they're a murder mystery, but mysteries, at least a well-constructed one, drops hints throughout the movie that you can pick up on that leads you to the conclusion of, you know, who the killer is. You might be able to figure it out. This one, un. Unless you've been paying an inhuman amount of attention to it. <laughs> the only hint that the killer is Carlo, whatever the fuck his name is, his mom, is you get a flash of her face in a mirror for yeah. like two frames halfway through the movie, and then it never comes up again until the end. 
that's just lazy ass mystery writing. Like, oh, the killer is someone you haven't even seen in this movie before. Surprise! <laughs> the, it's like the first Friday Thirteenth movie, right? Oh. Except that's a fun enough movie because it's <laughs> only what eighty five minutes long and yeah. it's full of cool kills. And you know, there's some good kills in this too. But the the proper cut of this movie is goddamn near two hours long. None of the characters behave in, in like in, in any way rational. You know, the police and and the guy who's trying to solve this independently, the piano player guy, are are often completely opposite ends of the spectrum. And it, if the police have been paying paying any attention to the piano player guy at all, they would have suspected him for the fucking murders before anything else. But they don't. <laughs> he just happens to pop up everywhere that there's a murder. And, you know, the, the whole thing with the psychic at the beginning, like, that was really cool. I thought, oh, okay, mm-hmm. the first time I saw this, like, that's a, I like that idea that you have this stage psychic that's supposed to be a complete fake, right? But yeah. she actually picks up on the killer in the audience, has this flash of, of a murder, and that's really cool. And then she dies. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> there went the interesting part of the plot out the fucking window. <laughs> and... Jesus Christ, did Goblin actually watch this movie? Uh, the <laughs> like, score is so good! Yeah, I was it, the is, best it is. Now listen, now listen. Okay. this is the uh, first time Goblin worked with Dario Argento. And that is like one of the great... That's like, you know, Godzilla and Jet Jaguar, right? Like, that's one of the biggest team-ups in Italian cinema history. <laughs> Goblin and Dario Argento. And it is a great score, because Goblin didn't write bad music. But... It doesn't fit the movie at all. Really? They just sort of splatted their cues here and there and <laughs> didn't really pay any attention to what was actually happening on the screen. I mean, like I said, I've watched this movie multiple times with the intent of like, okay, this is loved. This is Dario Argento at, at the prime of his career. I should like this movie. Let's sit down and watch. What the fuck does that stupid doll have to do with goddamn anything? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Fucking nothing. Oh, a creepy image that doesn't bear any... Like every Italian film ever made? <laughs> Why does it suddenly now have to yes. be? <laughs> because it's not a supernatural one. If this was Gates of Hell, okay, bring on the creepy dolls. Sure. You know, nightmare logic works in an Italian horror movie, but this is a crime mystery. I didn't think the writing was that bad. I thought they did a good job of like keeping the girlfriend out of every kill area, so like you might have thought it was her or the reporter. The reporter girl. Yeah, I totally thought it was her. I was hoping it wasn't, and thank God it wasn't. But I... it's all there. <laughs> I, I, I'm being very, like I don't hate the movie because okay. it still looks pretty it's still i was gonna say the shot. fucking it's camera like work is amazing yes. absolutely it's a very well-made film that does not make any sense on the story level and yes it's an italian movie and i don't care right microwave <laughs> massacre total, total yes it's a goddamn masterpiece okay. because it doesn't need to make any sense it's a comedy oh, I, I just give up sometimes <laughs> <laughs> I love it. If this, I love if this it. was a supernatural movie, that would all be fine. But it's not. It's a giallo. It's a murder mystery. That's all it is. There's there's 
other than the psychic. There's no supernatural element to it. That's, yeah, I was going to say, it obviously is in somewhat of a supernatural universe if if the psychic actually does have real power. Right, but they kill the psychic off five fucking minutes after the introducer, so who cares? <laughs> all right, all right. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I get it. Yeah, it what, what does the doll have to do with anything? But man, I love that scene. That oh, doll's so creepy. creepy. And the best part of it is the first time I ever watched this, uh, a friend of mine who Foy knows, uh, Matt Jensen, he was over at my place, and I hadn't seen the movie before, and he had just bought it, so he'd already watched it. And we had all been drinking or whatever. He's like, oh, there's a great thing coming up. And he goes off into my kitchen to presumably get another drink. But really what he's doing is like hiding in my dining room where the lights are all off and we can't see him. So as the doll comes flying out of... (laughs) that closet he comes like staggering out back into the tv room where we're all sitting with the lights on doing the weird little stutter motion walk like in unison with the doll and it was really funny (laughs) so i have have good memories of watching this movie i just i don't know it doesn't stick with me like most of argento's other movies from this period do yeah is it one of his best movies no it's 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 probably you know it's not in my probably top five Argento movies, but visually it's it's got that awesome Argento touch. I love the score, and I I think it fits that doll scene. I just want to jump back to it again real quick. I think that's such such a cool, creepy scene, and what I love about it too, and how much of a misdirect it is. It's a great misdirect, and I yeah I get it. What's the doll have to do with anything? But there is a lot of like toy imagery and child imagery throughout you know. You know um, throughout this whole movie too, though. No, that's a good point because that's yeah, the whole crux of the movie. Is Carlo was a child when he saw his crazy ass mom murder his dad. So yeah, okay, I I, I can <laughs> buy that. Sure. Yeah, I definitely like. I would. This is one I need to revisit because now watching it the first time, and as I was watching through and things like, first of all, fuck that doll. I hate dolls. <laughs> that was the creepiest shit. And I was like, where the fuck is that? What is happening? There's no dolls in this movie. And it's so great because it's so creepy, but that's not even the real oh horror of the scene. So no. Um, but anyway, yeah. But there were so many things like, I was just like, what the fuck. What does this have to do with anything? I don't understand what's going on. But then after you kind of have finally gotten through everything, it sort of, you can kind of piece some of that back together. Like, oh, okay, that's what that, okay. So I just need to revisit it and maybe it'll all make more sense. But yeah. I watched the version that had like, it was going back from like English to Italian and stuff. And I was like, I know I'm missing stuff, but I don't think it. I still wouldn't really know what was going on if it was in English. So yeah. I, I'm I'm just here for the creepy dolls and the awesome uh, cinematography. So in the, in this awesome score, like I don't need to understand what's happening. I'm okay with just being yeah. entertained. It didn't hurt anything. You could. I thought all the scenes were good. That they cut out, but yeah. But I think they. Yeah, were I, I love that. Uh, you know, because there's there's some like humor in this movie that. You know, kind of at moments, I felt like we were going into Italian comedy there uh, for a yeah, while. There's and, a lot of humor, <laughs> and, and you don't see that in Argento movies normally. So, I thought that was interesting. But yeah, because the scene in her car, in her piece the of shit car, car, yeah. yeah. 
what the fuck? I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> that, that's, just, a, that's an extra that, scene. I mean, I didn't hate it, but it, it was a little jarring, and it seemed a little out of place for there to be so much comedy in the middle of everything. Well, like, again, a little levity is welcome, but... It was, yeah, borderline slapstick there. Were there their take on comedy at times, the Italian Italian films are are a little weird. So Uh huh. Yeah. And to- <laughs> and tonal and, and tone shifts that make no sense. Yeah. Has anybody ever seen the movie um Oh damn it. Somebody say something, I gotta go find a movie. Oh my God, God, I love Oh Damn It. That's such a good movie. <laughs> Just almost can't function without the hold without holding the piece of plastic in front of him. That's why he doesn't get rid of his movies so he can remember shit. Yeah, it's I like his own personal right. IMDb mounted on his living room wall, right? Yeah, pretty much. And now he's back. Oh my God. Okay, uh, it's uh, it's originally an Italian comedy called Two B Twenty. Brian, oh. have you seen it? I have not, but I noticed uh, because of all the Black Friday and Cyber Monday bullshit, there's a label called Raro Video that puts out a lot of more obscure Italian, not necessarily always horror movies, sometimes, yeah. like you said, comedies, action, exploitation, whatever. Um, and they just put that out on Blu-ray, so that's been popping up all over my Facebook feed for like the last half of like week and a half, probably. Oh, oh, no kidding. I've got the DVD from that same label. Okay. Well, now it's on Blu-ray. <laughs> and it's got two discs because there's two different versions of the movie on it. And I have never in the history of watching film have I ever seen a movie changed so much in from one edit to the next. Like, really? Oh, yeah. Because the movie, the original, um, I think it's the original version, the movie is nothing but like... Like these, just these two free living women, just kind of hopping around this kind of like weird sex, Italian sex comedy, and then all of a sudden, literally the last ten minutes of the film, turn into, fucking I spin in your grave meets Last House on the Left. Whoa! Where really? These, these hillbillies chase the girls into the woods, rape them and kill them in the most despicable ways I've ever seen in cinema. It's so weird. And I, I love now, it because it makes no goddamn sense. That's This is going to make me sound like an awful person and it's probably because I am, but that description he just gave really makes me want to go buy that right now. Oh, I know, <laughs> right? I kind of need to see that. You need to see it. And, and then the other version, that end scene where the, the hillbillies kind of chase him out in the woods, the other version... That scene starts off the movie, but they cut out all the rape and murder. What? Yeah. So it starts <laughs> off with them, because they go into this bar, and they're making fun of all the hillbillies in this bar, and the hillbillies follow them out, chase them into the woods, and then all this nasty stuff happens. And then the other version, it starts off with them going into this bar, making fun of the hillbillies, the hillbillies follow them out, and then it cuts to all the other stuff that happens in the movie. It's so weird. Yeah, that's bizarre. Yeah. yeah Either definitely way, it sounds out. like these two girls needed Emmanuel as their tour guide. <laughs> yeah. And I don't mean Sylvia Crystal, I mean Laura Gemser. <laughs> uh, but anyway, 
yeah. So, <laughs> so deep I, red. Ultimately, <laughs> ultimately for me, what I liked about the movie was was David Hemmings. Like I could really like the main the main guy the pian the musician piano player <laughs> piano player the piano like, man Billy Joel. He was easy to he watch. Was good. He was really good, and yeah, I cared about him getting to the end of this movie, okay, and figuring <laughs> things out and living. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not that well versed with Argento stuff. Like, I'm still a noob with his movies, but um, I, I liked this one. I guess I like murder mysteries a lot, so that helps. I mean, it was confusing as fuck in several moments, but. I don't know. I liked it. It was a little long, but... I think you should definitely, you know, I, yeah, I know you're definitely a murder mystery fan, so I think you should check out more Jalos. I'd be curious to see what you think of, of Jalos. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, Brian. I love I love Jalos. I, I mean, yeah, there's some turkeys out there. I think one of my favorites still to this day, though, is Don't Torture a Duckling. And that's one I haven't seen. That's oh, really? Like a, yeah, it just came out on Arrow video blu-ray too so it's one of the uh, sleazier jallows i feel well most of fulci's are like new york rippers <laughs> I, yeah. I guess would be considered a jallow too and that's gross yeah <laughs> that movie's super gross yeah but it's awesome well, yeah I, I i like that one quite a bit so maybe it's just i like the sleazier ones i don't know sometimes like I because I got on this kick a couple of years ago of like oh it's October I'm gonna watch a bunch of Jalo movies so I just put a shit ton of them in my Netflix DVD queue and I just watched one after another that was like two hour long fucking just snooze fests. Mm. There's yeah. another one I haven't seen that I've heard is really fun called Death Laid an Egg and that's either coming out oh. or has recently come out on Blu-ray as well. I don't think I've seen so that one. Get a look at that one. I don't think I've seen that one, but another one, a really good one, is Whatever Happened to Solange. That's a really good one. I haven't seen that either. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah. I could keep going, but I probably should I also just read that, and I didn't know this, but uh, the the main girl was Dario's wife. Nicolodi. Yeah, Dario Nicolodi. The, the mother of Asia. Asia. Argento. Awesome. Yeah. Her mom. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. She well, I've been trying. Movies. I've been trying to get in for a half hour, and I just realized I was on mute. Oh, oh no! Oh, I'm shit. Sorry. You're being quiet. Oh. We're like, not that rude. Me. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, so I'll, I'll. I think I agree with Brian, and that I think I like I Giallo's. I kind of like the idea of them better than the actual ones, but I think this is this is Argeno's best. Um, I, I'll put in a quick word for the kills in this one. I thought I really like the. Uh, um, I read somewhere that they're all kind of based on like everyday pains, huh. like mm. the way he gets like that, like the the doctor gets his mouth smashed on the you know on the wood is like you know stubbing your leg on a table, um, getting scalded by hot water, stuff like that. Oh, what? Um, so oh, it's kind of, falls through yeah, the window. It's daily. Yeah. yeah, so getting cut, you know, getting burned, uh, stubbing, you know, hitting your leg on a table, you know. Because the you know I don't know about you, but I can't really identify with getting stabbed or shot or anything like that. But I do know what those feel like. Yeah, and that's um, what makes those kind of ones all the more gruesome because you can relate to those as opposed to your head exploding or something. Yeah, I know that's that's the way I like I gr- I grimace a lot more in the uh, puppets the, the the puppet scene than I do, uh, you know, watching someone get their head torn off or whatever. Yeah. 
I, I was was anybody else kind of disturbed with the implication like Carlo's character characterization like they, they kind of made it like he's gay so he's he's a psycho did anyone, oh, ca- did anyone catch that or am I, or am I projecting <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I got that vibe a little bit in the one scene in his friend's apartment for sure yeah, so yeah, that I, I and you could go, you know, yeah, I didn't like, I, I didn't like that as much because otherwise I kind of liked this character, but yeah, I didn't like the the implication that you know he yeah. he he was gay because he was messed up. And that's like that's an attitude that you would expect more from an American horror movie from this time period. Like yeah. I guess I'm used to thinking of Europe as being more forward thinking. That even by the mid '70s they would have moved on from that mindset, but I guess. It was only until, what, maybe 10 years ago that homosexuality was outright illegal in England, so maybe not. I don't yeah. know. There was a also, lot of... I was going to say, there was, there was a lot of uh, misogynist talk in there, too. I'm not normally one to notice that stuff. Maybe I'm just triggered lately. <laughs> but um, There was a lot of talk between um, the two main characters. Like that arm wrestling scene and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, know, little, I, uh, I thought at least he kind of gets, you know, uh, Mark kind of gets put in his place at least. Like sure, he, a he little, loses. yeah. He's, yeah, he, he's punished for his, his, his idiocy. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, deep red. A score. <laughs> so, uh, love the score. Yeah. There were a few times where I was definitely, like, almost on Brian's side as far as, like, it was a little jarring, like, and it seemed like it didn't fit, but then I was like, oh, maybe I kind of like it there. Okay, I'll forgive it. It's fine. <laughs> like, the more fast-paced stuff, when it didn't seem like, or maybe it was just too upbeat for certain moments, but it kind of fit in a weird way. I don't know. Well, I, I read that he originally, Argento hired a, like, jazz pianist to do the score, and... Yeah. He did. He wasn't really happy with it, so he tried to get Pink Floyd, and obviously they were like, "No, we're Pink Floyd." And uh, so he found Goblin, and they did it. But he, he kept a few of the pieces from the original composer Giorgio Gaslini. Mm-hmm. So I think they said. Uh, I'm looking on Wikipedia. It said three three of his compositions were were still in the movie. Uh, sort of mixed in there with Goblin score, but it's interesting that he tried to get uh-huh. uh, Pink Floyd. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, in retrospect, I wish, you know, I bet uh, Richard Gilmore is that Roger yeah. Gilmore? Richard Gilmore? Yeah, it's yeah. going shit. David I wish Gilmore. we would have done that. David Gilmore. That's yeah. right. Well, I'm didn't... not a Pink Floyd fan, but I mean, I know they're huge enough on their own still. But like, yeah, didn't something they, a... they sneezed at then probably would have been cool to have been a part of now i was but, gonna say that didn't they do obscured by clouds after wasn't that after 1975 like one like some movie that they some movie where their the record is mm-hmm. far more well known in the movie but i think they might have been still scoring movies at this point hmm. i could be wrong about that but maybe argento wasn't big enough for them to consider it at this point because it was pretty early in his career wasn't it Yes, it was. He he had done a whole lot of big stuff. Had it been, uh, had he asked them to do Suspiria, they probably would have been like, okay, but you know, yeah. he already had Goblin. <laughs> yeah. My so, God, can you imagine Suspiria with anyone but Goblin doing the music? Holy no, shit! No. 
Well, we're about to see it, you know, with uh, without Goblin and without Argento. So, was that back on well, again? Oh yeah, it's. I think it's done filming. I think they're just in post production on it. You might be about to see it. I'm not convinced <laughs> that I will see it. No one told oh. me. I was planning on going set fire to the sets. On a funny note, um, I think it was like today or over Thanksgiving, the White House hosted like some ballerinas. And there's footage of them <laughs> dancing with the First Lady sort of standing there watching them with her arms at her side. And, and someone on Twitter retweeted like a video and said, uh, you know, the new Suspiria remake looks really strange. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's so perfect because she's just so creepy watching these like, like six ballerinas dancing around the White House. She has no facial expression oh, and it's shit. so perfect. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. All right, so we got uh, one movie left to go over here, and that is from 1975, um, David Cronenberg's Shivers, or They Came From Within. Or Orgy of the Blood Parasites, or The Parasite Murders, or... Yeah, yeah. Which one's best? (laughs) Orgy of the Blood Parasites should have been the title. Or Rapey Slugs. That's <laughs> so, yeah. who wants to describe this one? I think she just did with rapey slugs. <laughs> I'll take a stab at this one. So, okay. so we have Doctor Hobbs, who is he believes that uh, humans have lost their touch with their senses and with the uh, the earth. So he is working on. On replacement parasites that are kind of combination uh, STD aphrodisiacs, which will then, which then ultimately uh, gets spread throughout the his apartment building uh, by his like twelve year old mistress, I think, and then uh, they start uh, invading people's bodies, and everyone becomes rapey and lustful, and yeah, and then some people are not, and they try to get away. So, I'll start off by saying, I remember watching this movie in my early days of of exploring everything I could find in horror, and really being creeped out by it. And I gotta, I'm gonna be honest, I'm going to um, probably start some controversy, but uh, watching it again after all these years, uh, it doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold up hmm. for me. I, I found it a little more silly than scary. You know, and that could be budgetary restraints or maybe just because, like, um, I'm at the point in my life now that uh, I want to find find where that apartment building is because it, it seems like a good time. But uh, <laughs> <clears throat> it's, let's just say it's been a while. So, but, yeah, I... Uh, oh. <laughs> I I just uh, yeah um I, I just didn't like it as much as I remembered it so that's interesting yeah I I I will uh, come up on the complete opposite side of you saying that aside from obviously the fly because it's the best this might be my favorite Cronenberg movie wow. Not that I'm into being rapey. <laughs> right, let's get I'm not that clear. Trying to say, <laughs> not cool. Uh, I'm glad I, you cleared I, that up. 
<laughs> well, I felt like I needed to because if I just left it, I love this movie. I think it's awesome. You'd all been like, "Are you? Do you have a slug in your butt?" <laughs> but uh, no, I just like Mike said, it it still creeps me out. I you know, yes, there are budgetary problems. Yes, it was. You know, it, it's a product of its time and not a whole lot of money, but it's Cronenberg at his most raw because this was his first feature film. He'd made a couple of short movies and you know some super independent stuff before this, but he got like Canadian tax money to make this movie. This was his first proper "I'm going to sell this movie" thing, and uh, it was in, uh, Terry and I were actually talking about this uh, a day or two ago about what the point behind it was because Cronenberg has always been an intelligent filmmaker. Yeah. He he doesn't just make sleazy exploitation for the sake of that. There's always a point to it. And I was kind of curious because this is I think now the only one of his movies that doesn't have a proper um domestic DVD and or Blu-ray release. You can get an Australian Blu-ray of it, but I don't have a region-free player, so that doesn't do me any damn good. And I would love to hear a commentary. So I was trying to look up anything I could of him, you know, either written or video or anything of him talking about this. And uh, on YouTube, there's like a 10-minute long clip of him talking about it. And then I found a couple of just little, little segments uh, of written stuff about it. And... He was talking about how, <clears throat> as an artist, like there's a difference between an artist and a person who just makes movies. A, a, a filmmaker, just a pure, simple filmmaker, their job is to entertain, and that's it. But an artist, their job is to always make people uncomfortable, to think, to take them outside their norms. And this movie certainly does that. Yeah. And And that... In his mind, you're supposed to identify not with the people struggling against this sex parasite infestation. To Cronenberg, the people you're supposed to identify with are the infected ones. That you're supposed to just—I mean, not necessarily that you're meant to be fucking a twelve-year-old, <laughs> but that that he. You know, he's trying to make you think about letting go of not just your morals, even, but you know, your your sense of reserved, you know, conservative sexuality, and just you know, be free. And uh, I find that very interesting. And also, the parasites are fucking gross. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, they are gross. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I thought, yeah, because I always thought Cronenberg was a you know really smart, you know forward-thinking uh, filmmaker in terms of message, but I found the kind of the message to be kind of puritanical uh, without that without that information you just shared. Like, it's kind of got, it's almost like it's a backlash against the free love of the 60s or something like that. that it's funny yeah. you say that, because that is literally exactly what I said when Terry and I were talking about it. Mm -hmm. Is, you know, I don't know because I don't have a DVD, I don't have a commentary, I don't have anything with him speaking about the message of the movie himself. My guess was exactly the same as yours, that it was meant to be... Because AIDS, AIDS would come along for another four or five years, but obviously there were plenty of conventional STDs 
born out of the free love of the 60s or, or at least brought into the American and you know Canadian Western public consciousness out of all that movement um, but no that's not it at all you're actually supposed to identify with you know Barbara Steele wanting to fuck that other chick <laughs> and so on and so forth yeah I'm glad I was kind of like yeah I don't know about this I mean I really enjoyed the movie it's one of my I thought it was Aside, I was one of the fa- my favorites that we watched this time around. But yeah, I was a little uncomfortable with kind of that message uh, until he brought that up. But yeah, I would also say I, I would say I'm not a huge fan of the parasites. Like I think it made the whole thing seem like really cheap looking. So I wonder what 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 does anyone think if they would have just kind of like not had you know not shown the parasites, just had people just start vomiting blood out of their orifices and scream. Yeah, did they really need the parasites? Because I thought they looked like McRib sandwiches. Like, they were were silly. (laughs) Right, it made you more hungry than it did. I I think they did need them. I I really like that angle because it's, you know, it's all science-based. I love that subplot of this Dr. Hobbs was was not just trying to make people, uh, you know, go back to their roots. Originally, he was trying to make organ replacement parasites. And that's something I've always loved about old school Cronenberg like it was, uh, everything maybe up until history of violence I, I haven't seen Existence but I've seen everything else and uh, uh, Eastern Promises was eh, alright but you know he kind of got away from the body horror stuff later on but I've always thought that in Cronenberg's movies because he writes them all too I really admire him as a, as a screenwriter because there's not a single word wasted he gets right to his point. He, you know, it just, there's no, it's, I don't like Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> as a, Like, I, I think he's a shit writer and I generally hate his stories. But I like his, I, his aesthetic of trying to get away from purple prose. With, you know, over florid, elaborate stuff. Oh, yeah. And, and, and so, you know, Cronenberg to me has always had that kind of aesthetic where it's just get to the fucking point in the smartest way possible. And this is a great example of that, even though, like, you know, the, the rubber parasite worm things look silly, sure. But you know, if you can look past the fact that he didn't have a lot of money to work with, there's there's nothing wasted in this movie there's no parts like oh that's boring you could cut that out like everything packs a punch everything needs to be there and he's always been a very economical filmmaker in that way to me like, yeah I, I love that for sure yeah. well talk about getting right to the point the uh that scene at the beginning where we just have him the old guy strangling the 12 year old to death yeah you know that's pretty i mean because yeah that this was a year before assault on precinct 13 i don't think we were quite were we murdering kids on screen with impity at this point <laughs> <laughs> i don't think so yeah so yeah i thought that was like huh like wow we're just strangling kids right off the bat <laughs> and it makes you wonder too that's a great set you know going back to the bloated over overwritten uh, you know operaticness of the movie we just talked about to this where it sets up a mystery right away like what the fuck is this old guy doing hacking up this little girl pouring acid into her body cavity and then slitting his own throat but you know it's all laid out right there in front of you and then it gets explained and it, it works brilliantly I think yeah Mike See, I don't know. Maybe I just... Uh, yeah. 
Terry, go ahead. I don't. I don't know <laughs> what to say about this movie. Like, I get you know the whole he's an artist and he's supposed to make us feel uncomfortable. That whole thing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, that that wasn't me being like. No, I know. They say that. Guy. Like that was straight out of Cronenberg's own mouth. So. Well, and they say <laughs> that about artists, <laughs> like you know, thing you know, you're supposed to be it's supposed to emotionally affect you and all that stuff. And I get that to a point. And I guess I can kind of see the angle what, that he was talking about that you brought up, but I don't know. Like, I think there's being an artist, and then I think there's also adding more in than is necessary for shock factor like I feel like he could have made his point and left out some of the shit that's in here are you saying this movie feels a little over exploitive yes okay like waste is like as we were you were just saying jam packed like scene to scene there was always something but it was like I was exhausted <laughs> having to watch this movie. I guess it was just too much for me personally. Not that I mean <laughs> the rapiness bothered me as well, but you know, and then there's like the scene with like the little kid kissing the dude and then there's a scene with the dad getting ready to molest his daughter and there's just so much shit in there. It's just like, why is there all of this? Like, I don't know. It was just too much for me. I like, I mean, I don't like that stuff because I like it, but again, <laughs> the background of like this perfect, you know, kind of futuristic, very sterile apartment complex. Uh, I thought it made sense. It was like, I, I like the juxtaposition between the, you know, the facade of the, you know, the facade of, of modern living with the kind of the, the destruction of the nuclear family and traditional bonds going on inside sure. while they're while they're showing people around like oh look at how wealthy our building is our employees are well are you know are well dressed and everybody's happy while while dr hobbs is you know murdering a 12 year old upstairs yeah yeah so that's a very 70s thing for me kind of the it's got kind of the, the you know kind of the distrust of our neighbors distrust of science kind of the paranoia mm-hmm. ticks a lot of the boxes when you were talking about the 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 scene, Terry, when you're um, rattling off different scenes, there the scene with the the father about to rape his daughter. Are you talking about like when when the guy goes when the guy goes into the one apartment and that guy's and the guy's talking to him, but his daughter's just sitting there on the couch. Is yeah, the, you like yeah. my daughter Erica. My daughter Erica is very beautiful, don't you think? I really liked that. <laughs> I really liked that scene because I thought it was creepy as hell. It just. It's like it's like the it's like walking by that one room in The Shining when you you see the weird image of of the person on the bed and whatever and you're like what the fuck's going on in there but you know what the fuck's going on in there and it's kind of the same thing it gave me that same kind of vibe of like what the fuck's going on in here but you know what's going to happen and they don't and it's not and and then they cut out of it and and I think that's what makes that that whole scene so effective they they don't show all that so yeah, because at that point, St. Luke is, like, just fleeing through the building. Because he's had, 
And Mike, that's, that's I'm surprised this doesn't hold up for you because it's got Lynn Lowry in it. And Lynn I know. Lowry. I love Lynn Lowry. Love Lynn Lowry. And she's a, she keeps asking this. this. I, I, one of my favorite images of Lynn Lowry, uh-huh. I'm going to get a little pervy, uh, is that is that shot of her just soaking wet, standing there in the swimming pool. I think she's just gorgeous in that. And yeah, you can see through that top, but that's neither here nor there. I just think she's gorgeous in that shot, and I know always knew it was from Shivers, but uh, yeah. Well, yeah. and Cronenberg hired her for the same reason that the guy who made uh, I Drink Your Blood hired her because, yeah, she's good looking, but in a very weird like she looks like a fucking alien, like she's yeah. very otherworldly, and yeah. that that's the point of that shot. But as you were saying that that the Saint Luke, the character, the blonde guy who was working with the doctor throughout the movie, when he runs into that apartment with the you'd like my daughter Erica guy, he's trying to hide from these people. He's like, oh, shit, an open door that I can get in. Fine, I get in. He shuts the door, and it's right behind him. Like, there's nowhere to escape. At this point, those slugs have completely taken over the building. And it's kind of like, and and as Foy, you were talking about earlier how you didn't, you you thought the movie had a more conservative message because... It seems like for a while he's your viewpoint character, and for a good long time he's dragging Lynn Lowry's character along with him. You know, she's his girlfriend, and that, Mm -hmm. and she's been infected clearly. But you know, he's pulling her through the building, thinking, "I'll get her out of here. That's fine." And the one like super nineteen fifties moment where she starts talking about how I had this dream about this old man, but even old flesh is erotic. And then he kissed me, and we made love beautifully. And she opens her mouth and makes that weird <laughs> noise. And the worm starts coming out of her throat, and he just <laughs> pops her one. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I can see Doug McClure or John Agar doing that, sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then he winds up in the sex pool with rape slugs. See, now, and, now you got me thinking, because I was, I was totally with Matt on the conservative view of this movie. You know, because because it's at because it, it's like you said, Matt. It's right at that era, you know, of yeah. you know the the end of the free love era and all that all that stuff. So, to, and to me, the horror of this movie is free love. You know, but uh, but that's supposed to be the wonder of it because in that moment, in that scene that I just described specifically, like she's happy, borderline ecstatic. Yeah, you know, at, at peace with all of this. And he fucking punches her in the face for it. He's the douchebag in that scene, and not, not only, her. And not only that, when he is quote unquote trying to protect her and dragging her through this through that throughout the building, the whole time he's almost it's almost seems kind of abusive. Like he's literally dragging her by the arm through several scenes and just kind of pushing her around and propping her up and stuff. And yeah, so I can I can kind of see the other angle of it now, just based on his character. And and the way he treats Lynn Lowry, that's interesting. But again, the part that doesn't hold up for me, the individual moments I think are strong. Again, I talk about you know the, when he walks into that apartment and it's the guy and the daughter, or when that when the other doctor shows up and gets murdered by the the uh, the curly haired guy, one of the first infected guys, um, gets Tudor. murdered. What's that? Tudor. Okay. That's his name. I thought that was a really creepy scene. But it's when it's like the full Night of the Fucking Dead orgy of of sex zombies, you know, um, running through the halls and stuff. 
and never it's like big groups of these like sex crazed zombie heads. Um, that's when I th- that's when it felt hokey to me, like almost like comedy. And that may that may be on part of the performers and and the thing is like I'm with you, Brian. I I love the more raw stuff myself. Like if it comes to like a band, I would much rather listen to the original demo tape of a certain song than the the fully produced studio version. I I love I love super raw stuff, but you know just some of those moments to me just almost felt like he was. It almost felt like he was going for comedy than horror. Well, in that big scene at the end in the pool, like apparently a whole lot of the crew just like fuck it, whatever, and took their clothes off and jumped in the pool. <laughs> so like some of the equipment was even unmanned at that point. Oh jeez! But they just left it in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Now the one scene where he goes through those glass doors and he's escaping the building, and it's just the whole row of people coming over that hill. I thought that was creepy as hell. Yeah. But then once they get in the pool, it just seemed kind of laughable again. So, but then the like, and I love you know this is ideal seventies downer ending. I love that last shot where it's zooming out from the tower complex, and you see all those cars one after the other pulling out of the parking garage, and then it cuts to the radio announcer uh, as um, as Barbara Steele's character and. I can't remember the <laughs> the girl's name now, but um, as they're driving down the road, and the radio announcer saying, "We've had all these reports of of bizarre sex crimes happening throughout the city, like you know that they've because this whole that, that Starliner Tower is on an island, yeah. so it's isolated to begin with. But as that final shot shows them driving out of there, the implication is, you know, they're at least all over this province of Canada." potentially spreading to the world kind of like that's it humanity or sex zombies for the rest of time now at the end of that movie like i that's great i love that yeah three of the five films on this list are downer endings now that goes back to the end of rabbit is very very similar to that yeah and that's the thing i think i'm (coughs) oh excuse me i think i much prefer rabbit i love that movie even though the little parasite monster in that is probably even more ridiculous than the ones the ones in this one, it is yeah. <laughs> Comes out through the armpit. What? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> no, Ra- rabbit is great too. I think I, I slightly prefer this one though. But yeah. Okay. They're both good. Tad, you've been quiet during this during this one. Yeah, I like rabbit better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no. Um, out of the list for this uh, podcast, this was probably my least favorite, but I still liked it. Um, I agree with mostly what everyone, like, especially what Terry was saying, some of the stuff was a little um, gratuitous. It felt like just to be gratuitous, but yeah. um, I, it's a Cronenberg movie, so I sort of feel, you know, you know what you're getting into, but yeah, it, it still felt pretty raw. Going into it, you, it's very soaked in 70s uh the overall look, feel, everything about it's very seventies, but I don't know. It was it was the first one I watched of the group, and I had not seen it before, so I don't know. Maybe it didn't it didn't really set the tone or anything, but it it clearly clearly influenced a lot of um, stuff. Um, I don't know. You can see a lot of the influence 
in in a lot of horror modern horror movies. Um, what do you guys think of right when you watch it? Like, you, you know what movie I'm I'm thinking of, right? Maybe of modern horror movies. Yeah, Slither. Slither. Exactly. Yes. Oh, uh, okay. It, like right when I'm watching, it, I'm like, oh, like Gunn took several like direct shots out of this movie, not only with like the slugs, but there's some direct like angles and shots that he took directly from this movie. Obviously, his is more tongue in cheek and fun and not as crazy, but like the bathtub scene, that I mean, that's a poster of Slither. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that was the image that we that was used for promoting the whole movie and it was taken directly from this movie i feel so i don't know it's sort of cool to see where you know movies are i don't know i i think it's cool when i go back and i recognize where a, a filmmaker was inspired maybe yeah cool i could totally see that yeah and then the the wardrobe got him through the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jason, what were your thoughts? You didn't even share. Um, anything. I liked it more on the Matt and Brian page. I liked it. I thought okay. it was good. Um, like a big Lynn Lowry fan, and I thought she kicked ass in this movie. Oh, she's great. She, she did a great good. job. I guess, too, I mean, not even thinking more of what Brian was saying as far as um, us relating to the sex-crazed maniacs, doesn't that, like, completely devoid the horror element of this movie, if if we are supposed to take that side? I don't think so, because... <laughs> Just because we're supposed to take their side doesn't mean it's easy to do so. No, I, yeah. You you have to put aside every sexual norm and more you've ever learned in your life to identify with them. So it's it, it, it becomes almost a denial of self yeah. at that point to be able to identify with that, to, to, to throw off that jackal of normalcy and go yeah I kind of want to be in that pool too but is that right like it's because it's not meant to be an easy identification yeah it's not something you're supposed to go yeah let's let's everyone fuck each other like (laughs) it's it's hard to reach that point where you can be that honest with yourself and go yeah I Let's get in that RV and go for the swinging vacation. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, because that's kind of got me. I've been reading about monsters lately, kind of from a theoretical standpoint. Yeah, there's like the monsters we we hate, and you know, but part of the you know, there's a whole other score of monsters which are like things we just don't understand, like things yeah. we we look at cockeyed and can't quite figure out how it could be, and that kind of makes sense here. It's like, you know, yeah, we're we're taught from a very early age to to fear sex. Um, to look, you know, to look down on it, and then when you see people just doing it, it's like, well, they must be evil, right? Like they, they must be wrong. And then it's like, well, no, maybe I could give it a try. You got me way overthinking this movie now. I okay, think. well, <laughs> what they? Okay, if if we had to like actually look up interviews on what David Cronenberg said about this movie, then he obviously didn't completely convey what he intended to convey with this movie. <laughs> 
Like, he wasn't completely successful in doing that, mm. is what I'm getting from all these conversations. Well, I mean, I know you're supposed to infer what you want to from a movie. Like, that's art, yeah. and I get that. But, like, still. <laughs> like, well, I, I mean, shouldn't have to look it up on Wikipedia to understand where he's coming from. Yeah, yeah, for all the death of the author stuff, I I never once dawned on me that this was po- that he was possibly like saying I was supposed to identify with the sex pool. Like I never guessed right. that. Yeah. I think it, maybe it's just more of a question of like, where's where's the line in in like uh, our sexual desires? Maybe because because at the end of the day, with these with these uh, people that have this parasite. They still all have. They still have pretty much their normal faculties, right? They can drive. They can talk. They know who other. They know who their friends and family are. They just can't help themselves and want to fuck everything. So, and you know, maybe that's just because you're supposed to identify with them. Maybe uh, I'm gonna get super hippie here and. Boy, being the professor is the yeah. only one that's going to care. Give in. Give in. Let the slug go in you. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's up to you how far you want to let that go. It's up to you how much sex slug is in your throat. <laughs> you know, it, I it's, want that it's, on a just t-shirt. The, it's, it's, there, it's there to make you think about where does my desire and my perversity end. Maybe we know I Mike's diving the, into maybe that. Maybe pool. I don't go all the way to oh, yeah. creepy beardy guy fucking his daughter. No, but maybe I want to be in that pool with some people who aren't related to me. Especially <laughs> you know? when Lowry's in the pool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just no. You guys are going to make me watch this again. Honestly, I kind of want to go back and watch it with all this in mind. And to Terry's point, I my thing is this: I I always. I always go into any movie for entertainment value first, so I don't always. Um, if if I leave the movie with a message, I'm like, oh, how about that, you know? And that maybe makes a little extra spark, but it's the entertainment value first and foremost for me. So, so I don't always overly think films um, at the time. So now I kind of want to watch it though with uh, with those glasses on. So. It's interesting. Very interesting. Eh, it wasn't good enough for me to care. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> okay, so 1975 was a was a uh, pretty big. Uh, had quite a few films that came out that year. How about some uh, well, some quick roundtable, some honorable mentions? Uh, Jason, what's uh, what's one that springs to mind for you? The Devil's Reign. That nice. was good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I should have known you were just going to go with that. <laughs> uh, Terry, what about you? Rocky Horror. Yes, and what's funny is like I'm starting to draw some parallels between Rocky Horror and Shivers after this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> There's a pool scene in both of them, for sure. Oh. Yes! Wow. <laughs> okay. We're getting a pool, aren't we? Great. Yeah, we are. <laughs> a creepy rape slug pool <laughs> oh, I think Harvey you... Weinstein has one of those at his house <laughs> <laughs> not anymore oh. 
Was there anything you wanted to say about Rocky Horror, Terry? Um, what do you need to say about Rocky Horror? Okay. Watch it with an audience. I just didn't <laughs> want to move on without letting you speak. Oh. No, it speaks pick? for itself. It's fine. All right. Brian, what about you? Uh, well, I had to look up, because, you know, other than the stuff on the list, obviously, I was like, what else came out in 75? One I knew off the top of my head, obviously, is Terror of Mechagodzilla, the, uh, <laughs> end of the, origi- the end of the original run of Showa Godzilla movies, okay. uh, the last Godzilla movie directed by the great Shiro Honda. And it does actually have a little bit of body horror in it. Um, some of the uh, human characters have been slaves of the uh, aliens from the third planet of the Black Hole, and they have had surgical experiments done on them while they've been used as slave labor. And it also involves a, a, a woman who has been turned into a cyborg remote control for Mechagodzilla. Uh, <clears throat> but a couple other ones I ran across. One that, dear God, I need to see. It's called Defula. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I actually tried yeah, tracking that movie down for this episode because I've wanted I've, to see it too. I've seen both Dracula versus Frankenstein's. I've seen uh, Dracula the Dirty Old Man, but I've seen Blackula. Yeah, Defula. Oh my fucking god! I need to see that. So you want to explain and to everybody what Defula is? It's Dracula with a deaf vampire. I guess I don't know. I haven't seen it. Oh, <laughs> I thought maybe you it. looked into it a little bit more. It's basically no. it's it's basically a Dracula movie made for deaf people. Oh my. All sign language. Yep, it's all in sign language. Oh, that's awesome. I know. Also, How cool is and, that? And I know I'm going to steal a little bit of thunder from uh, somebody who comments in the shout-outs because I cheated and read ahead. <laughs> but uh, I am a huge fan of, and I I know I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, Jean Rollin, Rollin, whatever, the, the mm-hmm. French... Jess Franco-type filmmaker who made a shit ton of lesbian vampire movies, but they're all... Gorgeous, and I don't mean the women. I mean the movies. They look like paintings. They're incredible. They're dreamlike. They're ethereal. They're weird. And uh, he made one in 1975 called Lips of Blood with the exquisite Annie Bell. And it's one of his better ones. It's just check out the works of Jean Rollin. Rollin. Jesus, I can't speak French. Whatever. His movies are awesome. We oui. Lips of Blood is great. Go watch it. <laughs> awesome. Tad, what about you? I'm going to go with the uh, easy target and just go with Trilogy of Terror. Nice. Everybody sort of knows and loves that one. I don't really have much to say about it, everyone. I mean, you, you just picture the doll when I say the title. You know, <laughs> the voodoo doll. So I think anybody listening to this has probably seen it and knows about it. But um, that was one of the 1975 films that came out that we didn't go over. So, Do you think Karen Black hates that movie just because... She's in that movie three times, three playing three different characters. Well, technically four different characters, and yet she's still upstaged by a doll. Or didn't she die? Oh, yeah, she did, didn't she? <laughs> yeah. Oh. R.I.P. <laughs> Sorry. Jeez, <laughs> had to bring the bad news. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure it was a couple of years ago, but it's fine. Yeah, too soon. Um, <laughs> Matt, what about you? Well, I, I was—I'll start off by saying I thought for sure Brian was going to talk about Island of Death. Um, 
<laughs> I kind of thought he would too. <laughs> yeah. I totally forgot that was 1975, but yes, that movie is awesome. Any movie, yeah, you talk about it. You brought it up. <laughs> I haven't seen it for a long time. I, I was going to leave that to you. So I just remember that. I just remember the Donkey Punch. Any movie where a guy fucks a goat and decapitates an old lady with a bulldozer after pissing on her is fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, that movie's fucked up. Yeah, but I'll put in a word for giant spider invasion here. It's my favorite Gilroy Bain movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's got a you know it's got a great cast. Uh, it's I like kind of the uh, you know it starts out very very si- it's you know I mean it's all very silly. Um, yeah. But it's uh, it's just interesting. You know, it's it's got kind of a dopey sheriff and the the gross redneck type characters. Um, and kind of their cosmic come up and stuff. Yeah, and I can you know. It's, it's Bill Rabane's finest, and that's about the best you can say about it. Cool. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. I, I want to get a Volkswagen bug so I can dress it up like a giant spider. <laughs> and in in the, in uh, terms of uh, movies, I I'm more interested in than I actually like. 120 Days of Sodom is interesting. Oh yeah, that's yeah. This this was a pretty sick year, wasn't it? Island of Death, Salo, Shivers. Salo is funny. How do you not think that movie is funny? Oh, I find I, I can I find, laugh at it. Yeah, so I know Terry I would quit the, the show if we made her watch it, though. <laughs> I, I don't mean like it's haha bad funny. Like it's funny on purpose. Like it's totally poking fun at the at the perverts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like like Dick like Dick Cheney masturbates to that movie. There's no there's no question about it. It's a, oh, thinking of another another hilarious movie that came out the same year, Valerian Barovchek the Beast, which is notorious as being this disgusting, horrible exploitation movie. Of uh, it's it's basically a perversion of uh, not Snow White. No, it, it it's a fairy tale type movie where this girl moves into a castle that's like her ancestral home and she goes out into the woods and meets it's a human sized rodent that looks like a if a nutria got turned into one of the characters in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and she is trying to climb a tree and get away from it and is like kicking it away and accidentally gives it a foot job falls out of the tree and gets covered like a gallon of humanoid rodent bukkake <laughs> you cannot fucking convince me that movie isn't supposed to be funny cuz it's goddamn hilarious on purpose write <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> the best movie descriptions yes <laughs> yes all right, was it was that all you had, Matt? Or yeah, I know, I, I just don't, but I I must issue a correction here. Even though Island of Death is showing up on my list of horror movies from 1975, apparently it was 76, so the list was wrong. I'm sorry. Oh no! Well, I I, I had it on my I had it on my list too, honestly. So we're all looking at the wrong li- uh, the wrong bad lists, I guess. Um, huh? Okay. Um, well, my list, uh, since we're on the topic of reverse sex stuff, um, I had Night Train Murders on my list. Basically, Last uh, last House on the Left, but on a train. And that's one I wanted to watch for just for honorable mentions for this episode, and I did not have time, but maybe yeah. I'll get to it this weekend. Yeah, it's on Shudder, if you didn't already know that. 
Brother yeah, Dark. yeah, I did. I just I I kept scrolling past, going, "Fuck, I have to watch the movies for the actual episode first. And I just <laughs> had no time to get to it. I kind of almost put it on on there, but I know it's really rapey, so I'm like, "Yeah, I, I won't. I'll make everybody watch it." But um, I also had criminally insane on my list, aka Crazy Fat Ethel. Yeah. <laughs> that was the other one I was looking at listing as honorable mention, I guess. Nice, nice. Um, and one I'm surprised. To, here's another one I'm surprised you didn't mention, Brian. But uh, Black Magic by the Shaw Brothers. Oh yeah, yeah. I've I've not only owned that, I have a uh, reproduction theatrical poster for it, and I've written a review for it. <laughs> nice. It's That's a fun one. Bring Just, it it's honestly, it's one of those movies that when you hear Shaw Brothers and supernatural kung fu movie. Uh-huh. You have a certain set of expect- expectations for how crazy it's going to be, yeah. and it just doesn't quite meet them. It's too cheap. Oh, really? There's just yeah. there's some moments I thought was pretty crazy, but watch Battle Wizard and you'll understand why I was disappointed. By <laughs> oh, <okay>. this one. <laughs> and then I, I figured since uh, we mentioned some jalos earlier, strip nude for your killer is another pretty good jalo. Um, and then, last one on my list, uh, Linnea Quigley's first movie, Psycho in Texas. I've never even heard of that. Yeah, Can it's, tell. it's, well, it's basically just this, like, this, like, serial, serial killer hillbilly just traveling around through Texas and, you know, just killing and doing nasty things through the whole movie. It's actually not very good. It's pretty boring. Um, the highlight is Linnea, this is the Linnea, Linnea Quigley scene where he, he's in this bar and he clears out the bar and she's the waitress in the bar and makes her strip naked and makes her dance around while he pours beer over her head. So, so she's stripped nude for her killer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she's, she's dancing, she's bobbing around crying and he's pouring beer on her and she's like just soaking wet in beer had to have been disgusting. Like that would have been my first and last movie if I was her. But, but she uh, has had an amazing career. So yeah, just because it's got Linnea Quigley in it is the only reason worth watching it. On video, it was released on um, on um, oh my god, I can't even think. I'm t- I'll move on. Nope, I can't remember. I'm not gonna go grab the tape now. <laughs> so. <clears throat> So that's it. That's 1975 in a nutshell. You've been schooled. <laughs> We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll do some segments here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. Good evening. It's intermission time. Our service is friendly and quick. You'll find hot dogs, hamburgers, pizza, your favorite candies, hot and cold beverages, and other delicious snacks. So add to your fun of watching the movie. Visit our refreshment stand right now. We're glad to have you with us tonight. We hope you'll come to see us often. It's great to get out to the movies. Hey everybody, this is Wayne. This is Zip. Lori. Brian. Doug. And we're the Necronomicast, a weekly horror podcast brought to you by us, horror fans for you, horror fans. We talk about... Movies... Books? Celebrity interviews. Your mom. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> Necronomicus. Uh, 
We also talk about streaming movies, new movies, as well as news in horror. And that's just a sample of what you'll get on the Necronomicast. <laughs> Did we say horror movies? <laughs> visit us at Necronomicast.com. Also visit us on Facebook. And on iTunes and all that. Necronomicast. Uh, we'll scare the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Visit us at Necronomicast.com for more madness and horror and blood. We're good. (laughs) How are you? (laughs) And it's segments time here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. Time to start, as we always do, with some shout-outs! It's time for... Shout-outs! Alright, just ask what your favorite movie 75 is, and on Facebook, we got Valerie Winter says, Jaws. It's a good one. Heard of it. Mike Reeb. You know Mike Reeb. Yeah, Mike Reeb, woo! Poster man himself. Says, Lips of Blood. Because I'm a huge fan of Jean Rollins. Beautiful movie. Also, The Devil's Reign. Ernest Borgnine with Ram Horns. William Shatner gets crucified. John Travolta melts. What more can you ask for? <laughs> He's not wrong. It's entertaining. Nightmare Junkhead. Our teammates. Woo! Nightmare Junkhead says, The Devil's Reign and Race with the Devil because, you know, Hail Satan. Hail Satan. <laughs> we got Mike Franklin says, Shivers! Nick Leadham says, Stepford Wives. Derek Johns says, Jaws and Deep Red. Andrew Moeller says, Jaws and Trilogy of Terror. We also, I also want to just quick shout out to Andrew Moeller. He's, uh, he's the one who brought up, because I don't know if you know this, Mike, but we reference this imaginary list a lot on the show that only we know about. So we're talking about this thing that none of our listeners know about. So he's like, is there any way that um, that I can know this list so I can prepare too? And we're like, heck yeah. So over on Patreon, we'll all be announcing what lists we're concentrating on, the movies. And I uh, just wanted to... <coughs> it's a good question, and... Uh, Helped make a good thing, I think. All right. Awesome. Moving on. Tim Lennerer says, Gotta be Jaws, but I really wish I'd seen Defula so I could answer with that one. Because it didn't (laughs) have to be that one. (laughs) Defula. We'll try and track it down. Sean Clary says, I'll have to say Jaws. Spielberg hit every note perfectly in that film and is as scary now, to me anyway, as it was then. But there were a few other films that stand out from that year. Picnic at Hanging Rock. Oh, that's a great movie. A creepy slow burn mystery based on true events. The Stepford Wives. Remember that scene where poor Joanna meets her replacement? Burr. And yep. di- ah, no shit. And Deep Red. With its disturbing, painful-to-watch doll in the library scene. We're all pretty awesome. And then lastly on Facebook, uh, Christopher Osteen says, 
Rocky Horror Picture Show. And over on Instagram, that's right, we have an Instagram. Yeah, Uh, take that. Yeah, nobody commented there. So, but don't forget, we have an Instagram, people. Yeah, grandmas. Oh my gosh. Okay. And over on instantly on Twitter. We had our buddy Don and Nelly says, while Jaws and Deep Red battle at the top, lesser ones worth mentioning, Strip Nude, Autopsy, Eyeball, Night of the Seagulls, and Devil's Reign. And then he says, he comes back says, likewise, more fun ones include Satanico Pandemonium, Lips of Blood, Suspicious Death of a Minor, and race with the devil. Sorry for two posts. Don't be sorry, Don. No. And especially since you love Night of the Seagulls, which is awesome. That's the uh, fourth and final uh, Blind Dead movie by Amanda Desorio. See, and I almost put and that on the list too, but I'm like, yeah, we should probably start with the first one before we... <laughs> yeah, the Blind Dead movies are... They they dropped off in quality very quickly after the first one, but Night of the Seagulls, to me anyway, really picks things back up at the end. Like I think that's a really really cool movie. But well, yeah, so you can find us on Twitter at aotkp. You can find us on Instagram at Attack of the Killer Podcast, and you can always uh, give us a call at four one five nine five two six eight five seven or four one five nine five aotkp. Leave us your comments. We'll read that shit on the show, and that's shout-outs. Woo! Thanks, Jason. Word up. So next on segments, it's Terry with Wicked Women with Wear Terror. Oh, oh, oh! Alright, just a quick one this time. thought I'd chat about Catherine Ross after watching The Stepford Wives for this episode. Um, most notably, she was in, prior to uh, Stepford Wives, she was in The Graduate as Mrs. Robinson's daughter. And then my favorite, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. She's awesome in that. Um she hasn't done a ton of horror, but she did have a little bit bit of a string after um, being in uh, Stepford. Um, she did a few, which you've probably heard of, The Swarm. Yeah! <laughs> Michael Caine and his fabulous IB. <laughs> <laughs> and also The Legacy? I haven't seen that one. Do you guys know that movie? Nope. I know there's a cat on the cover of it, but that's about There all. is a cat with, like, a demon hand coming out of it. I don't know. Oh, yeah. It's a horror movie, and it looks interesting. And it also has Sam Elliott, who is apparently her husband. And that just makes her cooler, because Sam Elliott's yeah. the shit. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, not too much. She, most of her... Um, filmography is in dramas or westerns which makes sense since she's married to sam elliott but, <laughs> um yeah she kind of dropped out of the 
the film and TV scene for a while, but it looks like she's made a comeback in the last decade here. Oh, she also had a small role in Donnie Darko, I guess. I'd have to rewatch it to catch her, but she was in there somewhere. That's close enough to a horror film-ish. But yeah, she's cool. And that's all I got on her. And now, the man whose sentence for participating in Watergate was commuted because he thought they were just going on a late-night run to the video store. Insane Mike Saunders! It's Insane's Picks! Thank you for that introduction, and... I'm going to stick with 1975 for Insane's Picks this episode. I'm going to go with Elsa, She-Wolf of the SS. (laughs) Fuck yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Directed by Don Edmonds and produced, which I never realized, by David Friedman. And photographed by Academy Award winning cinematographer Dean Cundy. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that either. And filmed on the sets of Hogan's Heroes. Um, and starring, of course, uh, Diane Thorne as Elsa, the She-Wolf of the SS. Now, I've only ever seen Elsa. I've never seen any of the other... Or I've only seen Elsa, She-Wolf of the SS. I've never seen any of the others in the, in the series. Um, uh, I've just never been able to track them down. But Elsa... Is basically, uh, she's this evil Nazi warden at this death camp, and she's exp- um, doing these like exper- uh, medical experiments. Um, Elsa's goal is to prove that women could withstand more pain and s- and suffering than men can. Um, therefore, sh- should be allowed to fight on the front lines. Um, so yeah, so it's a uh, it's an it's a Nazi exploitation movie. Um, one of the kind of the Citizen Kane of Nazi exploitation movies, if you will, um, and you know you want to talk about like some sleaze, like we talked about some of the honorable mentions earlier. This is a pretty sleazy flick. It's just uh, it's just a lot of vignettes of of her, you know, having sex with people and then turning around and torturing women with um, clamps on the nipples and. All kinds of uh, crazy shit like that. Um, and as far as, like, it is, in my opinion, probably the best. Of, it's my favorite, anyway, of the Nazi of the Nazi exploitation movies. Um, um, and it's a, it's a good film. It, I really enjoy it. I, uh, I have the DVD of it, and um, it's been a while since I've watched it. I meant to rewatch it to better prepare for uh, this Insane's Picks. But um, uh, you know, it's got it's got a good story to go along with it, and you know, you get into um, uh, some of the characters and amongst all the tor- all the crazy torture stuff. And uh, even though Elsa comes back for like three more films, um, I believe she is killed at the end of this movie. So something crazy supernatural going on there with Elsa. But uh, you killed Elsa. That's right, you bastards. Um, 
yeah, I don't know what else to really say about it, uh, but uh, highly recommend it if you can, you know, if you can, uh, if, if definitely if you like some sleaze, uh, definitely check out Elsa She-Wolf of the SS. Uh, Brian, if you'd like to add anything, uh, feel free. Uh, uh, Elsa. I love these movies. I, I have seen all four of them. Uh, the commentary tracks on the Anchor Babe DVD set are fantastic, <laughs> and I hope they are forthcoming on Blu-ray. Who does the commentary? Is it Don Edmonds? Uh, yeah, it's on uh, the first one. It's Don Edmonds, Diane Thorne, and God, I can't even remember. I'd have to go to the shelf and dig it up and look it up. Um, but Diane and uh, her husband, Howard Marr, who was in all of these movies, at least in a small role, um, <clears throat> do the cameo or the commentaries for the other two the the fourth there are three official ilsa movies she wolf of the ss harem yeah. keeper of the oil sheiks which is my favorite one because it's a lot sillier uh, it doesn't take itself nearly as seriously as she wolf and then uh ilsa tigress of siberia which is not available officially on dvd in the states i don't think i have a bootleg copy of it but there's another one called elsa the wicked warden which is actually a Jess Franco movie called Greta the Mad Butcher. Oh, yeah, starring, yeah. Starring Diane Thorne, which got retitled. And the version of it that's in this box set is Ilsa the Wicked Warden. And every time someone calls her Greta, they just dub over Ilsa <laughs> on top of it. Nice. But uh, they, they have some great stories to tell about how cool of a guy Jess Franco was to work with. So, yeah. Oh, it's, cool. Yeah, this box set is well out of print. I don't know if any of them are available uh, in in current in-print editions in the States, but yeah. Yeah. I, I love these movies. <laughs> Don Edmonds, I mean, out of the, well, technically four, he only directed the first two. Who directed the third one? Do you know? Uh, well, the, the Wicked Warden one is uh, Jess Franco. Yeah, Jess Franco, but, uh, who, yeah. Who, who directed... Uh, Tigress of Siberia, yeah. I could not tell you off the top of my head. Okay. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I definitely need to see the other ones. But anyway, that's it. That's what the a show. year. What a year. Yeah. 1975. Good year. What's a good year? Good year for horror. Hell, any year's a good year for horror. Yep. Even if there's nothing decent in the coming out, you still have thousands of amazing films to check out. So, anyway, thanks everybody for listening. I, um, and I also want to throw out a special thanks to our Patreon donators. Thank you so much uh, for donating. And you too can donate by going to patreon.com backslash AOTKP. Um, and also, special thanks to Matt for being on. Thanks, buddy. Boy, boy. Yeah, thanks for having me. Anything you want to plug while before we sign off? Uh, not that I can think of. I think we. Uh, I got to. I got to put in my big word for the devil's reign, and I think that was all I. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> Unless any of you out there love academic papers, in which case he's got all kinds of stuff for you to read. <laughs> I do. In fact, I, I'm like, should I go full on? It's like, nah. They want people want to talk about movies. They don't want to talk about old ass old ass articles that no one's read in 30 years 
But I do have one. Why we? No, no, we we've been on. Do it, dude. I I am the pedantic, annoying guy in every episode. Somebody else take the mantle. Do it. Talk about your papers. Okay, I can do. I, I'll share. Just know it's actually the oldest horror article I've ever read. It's from 1975, and it uh, talks about how the Exorcist. So back in the 70s, like you had to write about the Exorcist. It's like the great moment in, in horror, of course. And it talks about how uh, the Exorcist resonates with the people because America is ready for a shift from for away from positivism toward mysticism. So after, you know, the, the rise of rationality and science and progress throughout all the, uh, you know, the, the 40s and 50s and, and up through that, uh, we were getting sick of it after, you know, World War II. Um, you can even see, like, we in one of my classes, we watched The Thing from Another World uh, last week. And even then, you can see him kind of making cracks about science and stuff like that. Like, oh, yeah, the atomic bomb, that made people real happy. So as society is getting tired um, of, of rationality, of, of positivism, then it is time for religion to come back. So the article argues that these things alternate over time, like they switch back and forth, uh, which is why in The Exorcist, all the, the rational ideas fail, and only mysticism can save the, can save the day. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Well, that's so, cool. 19, 1975, yeah, this is what I do with my time. <laughs> well again thanks for being on man it's it's been awesome having you here man thanks i had fun cool <laughs> all right so that's it for this episode of the tech killer podcast stay tuned we'll be back very soon with another episode but until then um stuff keep watching movies it's uh i'm i'm leaving bye bye <laughs> Oh no, could this be the end of? What? <laughs>